was the real one in, uh, not in uh, uh, DRC, but in uh, in Louisiana, New Orleans. I invested in a company, Silicon Okay, we are top of the hour, Tyler. Yep, I'm just waiting for the the song to end here, and then we will jump into it. Okay. Zoom. Keep the students from distracting each other. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Happy uh, Saturday edition for the hardcore tech news lovers. And let's see here, Mar, uh, Dave. Okay. We're going to jump into the top big headlines here of the moment. We've got a whole bunch of new faces I've not seen before with their hands up here. So we'll take them one at a time. I'm checking out the bios. And let's, let's start with... Um, oh, Jesus. Okay. No, that, that all changed. What happened here? That would, that would be a good guess. Uh, Tyler. If we oh, had him, Jesus Christ, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's into big Bitcoin nowadays. Big into Bitcoin. Someone, someone check and see if he's on the podcast. Okay, so let's do this. We'll go. In, we'll we'll go through the top news headlines. Started. Yeah, I got this, and then I've got all the popular tweets over the past twenty hours. And, yeah, I'm caught up to the last 20 hours, believe it or not. Okay, Bloomberg tried to ruin me for speaking out on China reporting. Okay, spelling myths about it. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's do it. Let's do this. Here we go. New story at this very moment. Happy Saturday. I hope everyone's having a fantastic weekend. And the biggest story at this very moment across... The Twitter sphere, in terms of what people are tweeting about, the number of tweets and comments and likes and whatnot, is a story from Mac Rumors by someone named Joe Rosenall. And the headline reads Apple details its CSAM detection system says it expects to set a match threshold of 30 known child abuse images before an iCloud account is flagged for mutual review. So you must have at least, is, does that mean to say you, you have to have at least 30 child abuse images before you're flagged? Is that what that means? It says it expects to set a match threshold of 30 known images. Apple Today shared a document that provides a more detailed overview of the child safety features that it first announced last week that everyone's just been going on and on and on and on about. And now a lot of people are tweeting about it, like Tim Sweeney from Epic, who's the CEO of Epic Games. He's jumping into this, responding to this article from Mac Rumors, where he says, no surprise, Apple has long made personal privacy part of its very DNA. Engineers choose to join Apple for less pay and a tougher work environment because they believe in product excellence and choose to serve on the front lines of privacy as a human right. And uh, one step is that, so that's the, that's the big new headline and where they are outlying, you know, kind of detailing how it's all going to work. Well, they might as well, because we're all going to be downloading it in about two weeks. They, Apple said uh, that the document aims to address the concerns and 
reiterates some details that surfaced earlier in an interview with Apple software engineer chief Craig Federighi. Federighi, uh, that was like two days ago, where he came out and tried to stop the whole um, campaign against it. And now they are saying that um, this the system is designed so that a user need not trust Apple, any other single entity, or even any set of possibly colluding entities from the same sovereign jurisdiction, that is, under the control of the same government, to be confident that the system is functioning as advertised. This is achieved through several interlocking mechanisms, including the intrinsic auditability of a single software image distributing worldwide for execution on device and a whole bunch of other legalese. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm going to tweet that one out so you can read for yourself how Apple could could be a little more clear about what it's, what, what it is all about. So that, I'm going to tweet this out to the Tech News Twitter account at T-N-A-T-W. And there it goes. And you can see it. And... Um, yeah, that story just continues to go and go and go. I, I don't think there's anything Apple can say that's going to get people to uh, swallow what they're selling. Um, but they're very good at controlling the narrative. So now people are going to be hyper-focused on this, um, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me 30 times, shame on you. So, Tim, the, yeah, the CEO from Epic has another tweet on this one where he says the U.S. Constitution protects against arbitrary government search of one's home and personal effects. Data one stores privately and doesn't share is a personal effect. Apple backdooring iOS to examine personal iCloud data is a suspicious list search of personal effects. That's the most reasonable argument i've heard thus far and he's absolutely correct if we lose freedom here there is no place to escape to this is the last stand on earth hmm. that, that's from from the american perspective he's he's unarguably correct on that it's just like a safety deposit box right i mean there's a certain level of um or expected privacy like in that realm right i mean are there certain things we can't store in a safety deposit box that you know legally we can't but we do i, I guess that's the question right and what can the legal system do about that ah so i'm i'm tweeting out tim sweeney who's no fan of apple in fact he's the biggest company you know in a huge the biggest law one of the biggest lawsuits apple's ever had in fact one of the biggest lawsuits tech has ever had is tim sweeney the ceo of epic games versus apple and so understand he's no fan of apple in his tweet that i just twatted on twitter is a, a a five tweet thread where he says uh, uh he's responding to the reuters headline that says apple's child protective features spark concern within apple's own ranks and then he says no surprise that this this whole child protection feature is sparking concern in, inside of Apple because Apple has long made it personal privacy part of its very own DNA and engineers um, choose to work at Apple for less pay and a tougher work environment because they believe in product excellence and choose to serve on the front lines of privacy as a human right. So that's why they're understandably upset at Apple because they signed up 
because they believed in Apple's core mission of privacy, 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 with no asterisk. And now they've got this huge asterisk. And that's why you've got a whole bunch of people being like that. I didn't, I, you know, am taking a lower pay and harder working conditions to work here because I believed in this mission, which is now fundamentally changed. And so he's making that point. And then he says on his uh, tweet number two of the five in the thread is the U.S. Constitution protects against arbitrary government searches of one's home and personal effects. And your device, your iPhones is your personal effect. Then the tweet number three is governments want this search capability, but many, including America, are constitutionally prohibited from it. Perhaps Apple thinks that if they give governments this massive surveillance gift at this critical time, regulators will look the other way on their antitrust abuses. That's exactly the conclusion we came to here, or at least that's what my point was, was it seems a little strange that Apple's doing this right now while the governments are deciding how harshly to punish them for antitrust. Yes, we made this argument this week. At least I did. And... Interesting to hear uh, him say it too, because he's you know uh, in a huge lawsuit with them precisely on that issue. Tweet four of five says Apple already made such a deal in China. Yes, exactly, selling out the privacy of iCloud users there by putting iCloud servers in a data center operated by the government-owned enterprise. Now Americans are told, quote unquote, trust us because though we just sold you out, now we won't do it again. And the last tweet, he says, my fear is that and my fear is that what Apple is ultimately trying to backdoor here is not our iPhones, but democracy and the rule of law itself. And with that last line, that's a bit har- harshly worded, I think. But on the first four, I think he's dead on. So I tweeted, you can see that uh, yourself. And that's um, getting quite a lot of attention, that Twitter thread. So and I personally great to see him validate the suspicion that I had about that, about uh, this seems like they're just trying to appease uh, Uncle Sam to not be so brutal uh, in the antitrust, you know, to keep their boat afloat. So um, the next second biggest headline, the the second biggest headline uh, at this very moment is from Engadget. Facebook rolls out end-to-end encryption or end-to-end encrypted voice and video calls on Messenger and says it will begin testing out end-to-end encryption for Instagram DMs, rolling out a host of features for Messenger users who switch on end-to-end encryption. You can now call Messenger contacts using voice and video end-to-end encryption. I'll be honest, uh, I'm kind of surprised by this move. So our people on Twitter, for example, um, one guy says, I'm excited about today's milestone in Facebook's journey to build robust end-to-end encryption, encrypted messaging experience. The option to make end-to-end encrypted voice and video calls on Messenger and improve support for disappearing messages. And yeah, other, other people expressing surprise as well uh, on Twitter, kind of the main theme. The th- Third, although we will have another really interesting Facebook headline in a minute. Um, So stay tuned for that one, which is more interesting than this one. Um, The next biggest article, which would be number three, is from the New York Times. It says, in a preliminary ruling, an ITC judge finds Google infringed on five patents owned by Sonos. Full commission will make a final ruling in December in in the preliminary finding by the U.S. International Trade Commission, a judge ruled 
the internet company infringed on speaker technology patents that Sonos has about how, you know, talking to your speaker and whatnot, as you now do with, with Google assistant. So, um, and yeah, Google infringed on Sonos's Sonos's patents, according to a, a ruling, and they'll they'll kind of figure that out in December. Article number four at this very moment is from The Verge. Twitter pauses rolling out access to apply for verification after admitting that several fake accounts reportedly part of a botnet were wrongfully verified, which we covered in real time live about a month ago. And they were found by our friend Jane Wong in Hong Kong. And she noticed, who are these very bot-looking uh, verified Twitter accounts? And, and then she even did a little investigating and found out they all appeared to be kind of Turkish in nature. And it was very weird because the verification Twitter verified uh, accounts uh, that have the little blue check, that means they've been verified. Twitter's been doing this in a mix of algorithm and human. That means there's at least a human overviewing this in, in some capacity how does a human not understand that they're bots and that they were all so similar and uh that's what jane tweeted you know a month ago i agreed uh, we talked about it here very briefly when as we are right now like when the headline came up and now twitter's pausing rolling out access to apply for verification after admitting that several fake accounts um reportedly part of a botnet were wrongly verified so we will see if Twitter's own verified Twitter account says we've temporary hit pause on rolling out access to apply for verification so we can make improvements to the application and review process. For those who have been waiting, we know this may be disappointing. We want to get things right and appreciate your patience. Okay, I think uh, they're probably just going to have to do it at scale very soon um, as they're about to do a huge rollout of their Twitter spaces. And it will be far more important um, to understand if people are verified in, in, in the very powerful format, as everyone in this room knows, of you know, kind of social audio than in traditional tweets. So um, we, we shall see. I think they're going to have to partner with uh, one of the startups or uh, 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 who is that? Stripe, which is now doing... Uh, kind of at scale automated verifications. So the the fifth biggest headline is from Coin Telegraph. They say they have a report that 55 of the top 100 banks by assets under management have invested in crypto, or a blockchain company. Barclays and Citigroup are the most active investors. Over half of the 100 largest banks by asset are reportedly investors in major crypto and blockchain technology-based companies and projects. And that's kind of interesting in that that means it's pretty much impossible for the government to ban uh, cryptos, but it, they're not looking to ban cryptos. They're looking to control them. Uh, as, as the infrastructure bill provision clearly states, you, you're more than welcome to do it. We just want to know everybody's name and verified addresses that touches your blockchain in any kind of way. That's where it's at today. It still has to pass the house, although it's not clear that it will, and some are saying it won't. We will know very probably next week. Um, you know, there will be an update on that anyway. So the sixth biggest article is from the Wall Street Journal. Tyler, just a quick one on, on that crypto one, if I may. Yeah. Um, is it is it? It said that they're investing in crypto projects on something else. Is it's not that they're um, like making the 
the, the their asset allocation, i.e., the things that they're earning interest that customers would earn them interest on directly into crypto, or is it? I don't know. Um, Do you know I, what I mean? Like, what would it be one thing to be like promoting the technology through the like helping those companies through investment, but it'd be right, another right. thing to like go right into it. Yeah, it, it, once they're invested, to what degree do they assist? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a great question. No, it's more rhetorical, like um, yeah, yeah. just a thought point, you know. No, it's a great point. Um, we, we have to imagine if they're. It, it depends on how heavily they're invested, of course. So what we shall see on on that. I mean, now that that's a kind of a fintechy uh, article, Monica just did her brilliant moderation as she's known for doing of the fintech payments room. I, I overheard you, uh, Monica, you getting very excited <laughs> at towards the end. So there was some headline that really surprised you or what, 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 what for you was kind of the, the best headline today in the fintech payments news. Maybe Monica's eating dinner. Cheryl, well, I think it was you who shared. No, I, yeah? <laughs> Tyler, I am here. Uh, okay. The news that uh, caught my attention was a couple of news items, actually. But I'm trying to recall which one uh, was the one where I got excited and you and it caught your attention. Yeah, towards That's the it was towards the end. And I think Cheryl. Digital currency. Which one? I think Cheryl. Digital currency. Digital currency. The infographic. Oh, yes, that one. Uh, so, Tyler, uh, Cheryl had shared this really amazing infographic. Anybody who is interested in just hearing or reading about the history of money and the fluctuations of the US dollar against milestones which have happened in the world, whether it is war or it is famine, or whether it is a tectonic um, um, event of any nature, should see that infographic. That got me very excited. Mm. And the second was, of course, the Chime headline, uh, where I knew uh, that was one, and then there was a buy now, pay later headline where we made a a little bit of fun and had a little bit of fun at everybody's expense uh, because of how uh, this went viral in India with a very different context of a wedding. So <laughs> that's okay. why we were having fun on, okay. I think, these three. Okay. Um, and then what? what's, while well, well, we've got you, um, it seemed like India had another two unicorns this week. Uh, I, I know of at least two. Um and then President Modi came out, Prime Minister Modi came out saying that the unicorns are kind of symbolic of uh, Indian image uh, nationally or something like that. Yeah. Yes, Tyler, we had three unicorns, one on Monday. And just when the news had settled down and the infographics had been released by all the news media publications, we had another on Tuesday, which was CoinDCX, which is a crypto exchange. Mm -hmm. And just when the news had settled in, we had an edutech startup, which became a unicorn on Thursday. So there were three startups. So now we are at number 23. And uh, you're right about Mr. P uh, of, uh, PM Modi as well. In fact, there is a huge uh, investor forum which is right now running on fintech uh, in India, which is being run by the government in the Invest India program, specifically trying to get more uh, funding, but also try to raise the attention for uh, innovation that is happening in India. So India really is a sinusure of all eyes. And we did cover a few headlines in the room that we just concluded, where fintech is getting about $2 billion of funding in H1 itself of this year. Mm. Okay. And Monica, you also mentioned, although there's this crypto unicorn uh, this week, but uh, you also did briefly mention about the, uh, the, the, the India stance on cryptocurrency, right? 
Oh, yes. and also the, 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 the Indian women are buying Bitcoin instead of gold. That's quite oh, interesting. Yes, yes, Tyler. We actually, and Cheryl, you have an excellent memory. You're absolutely right. So, Tyler, uh, this is also interesting because in India, um, the, uh, there is a minister who's given a headline saying that he wants to protect Indians against digital assets or Bitcoin assets. And however, they want the uh, their own uh, valued currency, which will be a digital currency, to definitely take shape. So, they are definitely warning against uh, that danger, uh, which is something that uh, came as a little bit of a surprise, specifically against the backdrop of this coin DCX uh, story and then Donna told us a story about how Indian women have uh, started uh, investing in uh, crypto and that number has risen by 1400% I think uh, and I'll look up the headline I'm trying to find that link but Indian uh, women specifically make the purchasing deci- decisions but the investment decisions are very very risk averse so they normally tend to invest in gold but they are trying not to invest in gold and investing in crypto so those were some of the headlines that we touched. There was another Indian one where a minister got banned on Twitter temporarily, and then he says this is interfering with uh, Indian democracy. Yeah. It's the leader of the opposition party, Rahul yeah. Gandhi. Yeah. yeah, he's been uh, banned for t- tweeting um, images that violate the Child Privacy uh, Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's actually not been banned. It's been temp- temporarily suspended. Yeah, suspended. But yeah. that, yeah, but that party is using it as a noise-making ploy, saying social media is against democracy. Hmm. It's uh, it's more of that thing where they're using it as uh... okay. So the next biggest headline is. Um, yeah, we covered Twitter is pausing rolling out access to verifications and then the report of the banks. The next one is from the Wall Street Journal. A half dozen white collar workers in industries like tech and banking say they are stealthily holding multiple remote full time jobs. When the pandemic freed employees from having to report to the office, some saw an opportunity to double their salary on the sly by um, doing multiple jobs simultaneously. And I guess that is one way um, in this whole battle between people who want to work fully remotely, uh, where they're going to have to be paid less, um, but maybe they can do two jobs simultaneously. So um, maybe even at the same company, you could apply under a different name somehow. (laughs) Or or maybe I'm going to have to come up with a new startup that can test to see if your employees are working at other companies simultaneously. Um, I, I applaud their work ethic, uh, Tyler. Yeah. Right? You know, they're at least they're smashing in at least seventy hours a week. I I, I support that. Do you remember in Living Color there was that segment where it's like I have ten jobs. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, okay, that's uh, pastime. Yeah, I would love to see a Saturday Night Live skit of somebody with two laptops doing two separate Zoom calls simultaneously. You know, where they just mute one side <laughs> to make comments on the other. Um, yeah, what happens when you have two Zoom calls? I hire that guy. I hire him. <laughs> that happens. Have you been listening to my Zoom calls or something, Tyler? Yeah. <laughs> I've done that already. Yeah. By the way, it's work from anywhere and work for whoever at the same time. That's the new. Yeah, yeah, Tyler, I wanted to add an angle here from Africa because sure. there's been some um, some uh, interesting chatter in, in, uh, on, on Twitter as well as a few newsletters. Obviously, uh, you're aware that Africa is now getting more and more investment in VC, FinTech. Sure. 
But there is a talent constraint that people kind of are aware of because uh, it's one of the Achilles heels of the African ecosystem is that, you know, the, we haven't got as many, you know, for example, compared to India or China or even Latin America, we just aren't churning up in, enough talent, particularly engineers. And so you are starting to see, and, I, and, and as you also know, um, and Monica probably knows as well with the FinTech room, you know, we had some big announcements in the last couple of weeks with CUDA Bank raising a bunch of money, fair, fair money, you know, the, you know, Chipper Cash raised a big amount of money. The, the list is getting longer. But now what, what you're seeing is that a lot of the um, uh, engineers, particularly in Nigeria, they don't, they, they don't actually, uh, uh, they're not getting stock options or they don't value them. Or I don't know whether the, the startups are even giving them out to them. And so, but they're paying them quite low wages because they, you know, can use the excuse that they're living in Nigeria, earning in Naira, um, which, is, which, is, which is a much uh, um, lower value currency in the dollar. And so they are being forced to take other jobs too, right? Because they're like, well, if I'm not earning enough, uh, from the startup, and you guys just raise millions of dollars, and you can't, and, you, and you're not paying me enough. Um, the market forces aren't aren't lifting the wages of the engineer engineering talent in Nigeria, for instance, enough um, um, uh, for, for for them to stay, stay on this one job. Uh, and so they're starting to get more, uh, starting to do more of this remote work. And and of course, because you know um, a lot of the talent is definitely more dispersed in Africa, uh, as well as you know some engineers are in the U U.S. or uh, or even Europe, Eastern Europe as well. So it's 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 compounding the problem, and so yeah, uh, I'm I'm predicting that we may we potentially might see a slowdown of dollars, um, uh, VC dollars going into Africa if the if the talent constraint isn't un, um, unblocked. I mean, for instance, obviously there could be more uh, global talent entering the space. You know, your your for example, Kenya. Um, if Mezret is here, she knows that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, um, expats going into Kenyan ecosystem and they raise a lot of money because Kenyans welcoming to foreigners, whether you're Indian, you know, American, British, you're fine. Nigeria is not, not as much. Uh, and so, yeah, so just, that's, that's just an angle from Africa. I think uh, cool. we might see a, a topping of that ecosystem unless we see more talent coming in. Yep. Cool. Um, let's, we've got a whole, what's the next one here? The, that was uh, the white collar workers doing multiple jobs. The next one is an analysis of VC-backed companies in the gaming space have raised nearly $6 billion in 2021, already surpassing the total raised in 2020 and 2019. So it's an absolute boom in video game investment. The next is from my favorite publication called Bloomberg. Uh, and it says, Apple is ordered by East Texas jury to pay $300 million in royalties to Optus after losing a patent dispute retrial over LTE technologies and iPhones and other products. And that's two different patent infringements articles today out of the top 10. The first one was Google infringing on Sonos patents and then now Apple infringing on Optus. Um, so, yeah, apparently you got to take these big companies to court. And when you do, in the case of Optus, they got $300 million. Ho Hopefully that's worth it. And next article is from the Financial Times. It says there are 65 million attempts by staff to steal code from their companies in Q2. Holy shit. 65 million attempts of staff trying to steal company code. In, Q, in the past three months, up from about 20 million in each of the previous three quarters. That's wild. That's like a 3x increase. 
Let, let's zoom out on that too. How many developers can there be? So how much stealing are they doing? Now, rise in insider threats come as disgruntled employees quit in record numbers as lockdowns ease. Employer, employees are taking sensitive information with them. And now you know why Amazon, um, there was a headline a few days ago that Amazon's now turning on keyboard tracking and uh, mouse tracking to know who's trying to log into you know parts of their systems um they can tell who you are based on how you use your keyboard so it's key you know signatures done by a company in sweden called behaviosec and this is great news for behaviosec if if this headline is you know even close to correct that's wild um yeah just i i think it's because of people working from home and they feel like they're able to do get away with things that they wouldn't dare try to do at the office. Um, and, and just being a little, having that physical distance and emotional distance and, you know, they get disgruntled and want to take action and they can't, you know, um, there's no other ways to retaliate, like, you know, uh, doing something, to the boss's car in the parking lot. So they're screwing around with the data or something. So um, a, a, a comment on that might be that usually, since I've been winning software development industry for quite a long time now, the thing is that just need just a snippet of code. Where should you use it? Right. Should you need to have the whole like, archipelago of all the other services around it to be able to use it? It might be, da- it might, it might be you know, user-based data stuff like, you know, c- client database you know i'm thinking a second of stuff um the next headline is uh equifax to buy and apparently uh, who cares about that next one is new book details android's acquisition by google how android pitched its operating system mobile operating system to samsung hdc and others firms before meeting with larry page to sell it to google and you can read all about uh, the snippet from that new upcoming book about Android uh, and its sale to Google, which it was obviously a great purchase for Google. And then where is this Facebook article I wanted to read? Basically a team from, was it Australia? Let me see here. Hopefully I didn't lose it. I think I lost it. Uh, Berlin. Researchers at Berlin-based Algorithm Watch say they abandoned their research project monitoring the Instagram algorithm after legal threats from Facebook. And this is obviously related to the one of the biggest stories of this past week, which was that um, Facebook shut down this, you know, um, algorithm deconstruction project from NYU where they're trying to deconstruct just how the political ads work inside of Facebook in a very, um, and th- that was a really wild drama that it's still kind of underway because it started with um, this NYU PhD candidate uh, who is allowing people to install a browser extension knowingly to give access to their data to see what what political ads they're being exposed to 
and then the lab basically is trying to deconstruct who's seeing what ads and why and where and how. And Facebook shut off all the data and claiming that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, had made some kind of ruling that prohibits them from allowing it, that Facebook would love to comply. But unfortunately, the Uncle Sam is saying we can't do it. And then the FTC boss steps in and says, no, that's bullshit. You don't use uh, don't use our name as an excuse. There's nothing that we've told you that prohibits you from doing that. So that's bullshit. Give give the give the data back. And so now it's the ball's clearly in Facebook's court with a with a bunch of embarrassment about why exactly they shut it off and they can't use the excuse they previously were using that it's, you know, the FTC. So while that we expect an update on that, you know, in the next few days. And in the meantime, I actually have, I actually have some updates regarding that one. So hold that and thought. The thing is- hold it because there's the new the new revelation is because of that he- those headlines that came out this week, a a team in Berlin called Algorithm Watch jumps up and says, "Hey, <laughs> this happened to us, and we stopped our research project, and we didn't tell anybody, but we sure want to tell everyone now because." Uh, we got screwed too. So it says Facebook shut down German research on Instagram algorithm and a chilling echo of NYU, um, the research project. So there, there's now two instances of this. Go ahead, Johan. Yeah, the thing is that uh, last uh, 12 hours ago, the database for this algorithmic project did go offline. And uh, there are no response from, from the team why the database is offline. Uh, the client, yeah, I've been looking at this project for quite a while, you know why. Uh, the thing is here that, that uh, the database is unreachable by now. And it's uh, with one of the major cloud delivers as well. So it's not only Facebook. Somebody else is playing the games here. And I don't get any response from the team. I have no idea why they put down the database or if the provider of the database actually shut it up. I have no idea. But the database is gone as well. Okay, so the article about the Berlin team now says researchers at Algorithm Watch say they were forced to abandon their research project monitoring the Instagram algorithm after legal threats from Facebook. The Berlin-based project went public with the conflict in a post published Friday morning citing the platform's recent ban of the NYU ad observatory. Here's the quote. There are probably more cases of bullying that we do not know about, the post reads. We hope that by coming forward, more organizations will speak up about their experience. Launched in March 2020, Algorithm Watch provided a browser plugin that would allow users to collect data from their Instagram feeds, providing insight into how the platform prioritizes pictures and videos. The project published findings regularly, showing that the algorithm encouraged photos that were that showed bare skin and that photos showing faces are ranked higher than screenshots of text. Facebook disputed the methodology, but did not otherwise take action against Algorithm Watch for the first year of the project. In May, researchers say Facebook asked to meet with the project leaders and accused them of violating the platform's terms of service in person. So there's no trail. <laughs> Very clever of Facebook to do it without uh, not putting it in writing and asking for an in-person meeting, which is bizarre that they would do that, except that they putting it in writing means they would be the, the, the receiver of Facebook's message, you know, algorithm watch would clearly go to the press and be like, Hey press, look what Facebook is, you know, shutting us down. And we have the proof in your meeting. 
the only proof you could have is if you recorded your conversation of the physical meeting. Anyway, so another objection was that the project violated GDPR since it collected data from users who had not consented to participate, which of course is bullshit because it's a browser extension. The only data that's being shared is by the person who agreed to install the browser plugin. And, and the team responds with the quote, we only collected data related to the content that Facebook displayed to the volunteers who installed the add-on. Right. There's no violation of GDPR in doing that. The, researcher, the researchers say in their defense. In other words, users of the plugin were only accessing their own feed and sharing it with us for research purposes. Exactly. So that their Facebook's point is just complete bullshit. So now you've got two, two instances. Um, we actually have three. The, the third one is that a couple of months ago, do you remember that was an advert that actually used this targeting data to display that, okay, if you would have been using our, I think it was a VPN services, you wouldn't be providing all these data that are public available. It was a, a directed ad at you as Tyler Crowell. You are 44 years old, live in Thailand and blah, blah, blah. All that information. If you have been using our VPN services, you wouldn't be providing us this targeting information. You wonder? Okay. So the next big headline of the moment is um, companies like Huawei and ZTE, which is kind of Huawei's, uh, the other big Chinese telecom company, have driven the demand for surveillance tech in Latin America by offering local governments free or discounted uh, e surveillance equipment. Well, there you go. Yeah. Let, let's... Huawei and ZTE have always been super cheap anyway so right it's hard to imagine what a discount means yeah. <laughs> and they will also be sur surveillancing the surveillancers with their equipment yeah it says from major surveillance firms are gifting tools to find a foothold in latin america from brazil brazil to argentina companies like huawei and duhua or dahua are disseminating high-tech cameras a new report by the digital rights organization called Access Now is the first comprehensive look at how foreign companies, mainly from China and Israel, have driven increased demand for surveillance technology in Latin America over the past decade, including by offering equipment and software at discounted prices or sometimes giving it away for free. Facial recognition, facial recognition technology to monitor citizens has grown increasingly common in the region over the past few years. These programs are ostensibly targeted at crime prevention, although there is increasingly they are they are also increasingly used for other reasons, such as COVID mitigation and classroom monitoring. Technology for public safety or policing purposes is pretty ubiquitous in Latin America, said Sheena Greetens, a professor at the University of Texas at Austin who studies Chinese surveillance exports. Despite the well-documented history of misuse by government and companies, the rapid expansion of surveillance technology has not met much popular resistance in Argentina, Brazil, and Ecuador, the countries highlighted in the report. More often than not, surveillance is a point of pride for politicians, heralded as the foundation of a safer future and accepted by the country's residents. Here's a quote. We aim to make Sao Paulo a global capital, not a province, and that includes making it a digital city, said then Mayor Joao Doria in 2017 at at about the same time that several Chinese companies, including Huawei, 
High K Vision or Hick Vision, Dahua and ZTE donated at least 4,000 security cameras for its city cameras program. Um, he concluded... The same playbook for 5G, Tyler. I mean, Huawei was always a third of the price of Ericsson or Nokia. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how they had such a great foothold into Europe, among other places. He, he even boasted that Sao Paulo will be the best monitored city in Latin America by the end of the his term. And it's a, it's, I've only read the very beginning of that article, so I will tweet that one out for those who want to go further on that one. And that one's gone. Okay. And then the next big article is... Um, that a German-based company called WorkMotion, an HR software startup that helps companies onboard and manage staff abroad. You know why they would need that, because we're going into a global workforce. We're going to hire people working from anywhere. And so they just raised $24 million. Netherlands-based Betty Blocks, which offers low-code application development tools and organizations, raises $33 million. HBO Max plans to roll out a new app in the next four to five months for connected TVs built from the ground up after complaints of glitches in its current app. Um, what else do we got? Discord is raising money at a valuation of around $15 billion in a funding round that would at least double its valuation of $7 billion in 2020. And uh, uh, Neobank Chime raises $750 million led by Sequoia at a valuation of $25 billion. As sources say, it could go public next year. Ethereum scaling project Polygon, formerly Matic Network, to ad- acquire Hermes Network. Reddit says it's rolling out a TikTok-like video feed in its iOS app. And I bet you it, they already do live streaming in the Reddit's current app. And if they're rolling out TikTok-like video feed... You better believe it's going to have live streams, as it already does in their current app. And they're obviously going clearly would be utterly idiotic to not uh, do the social commerce aspect. And we have to imagine they are, as they just raised a monster round of money at a much bigger valuation than even a year ago. And because social commerce is now here and these apps that have huge um, sticky audiences and communities are now worth a lot more than they were a year ago. So um, that takes us through um, all of the big headlines at the moment. But here's all of the fun headlines. And before I go into the fun ones that people have been tweeting in over the past 24 hours, Anyone have a, one in particular they want to make sure that we jump into if you're on stage or if you're in the audience and, and you think you have one that you want to make sure we get to, feel free to raise your hand and jump up and let us know the, the best article you've seen in the past uh, 24 hours, and we would love to hear it. But I, I've cherry-picked out all the best ones I've seen on Twitter. Go ahead, Dave. I, I was going to ask you um, j- just a quick one on the Facebook one. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think their best response could be at this stage? You know, to the to that situation. Oh, about that other outfit coming out. The, 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 I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it's sticky, isn't it? There's nothing they can say uh, now. Really? Uh, anyway, it's just an. You know, I thought it was an interesting. They, like, they just. They just have to see what they come back. With. I, they just have to pray and hope. Uh, uh, the other teams that are no there's as this as that team from Berlin said, you know, they implied there must be others. 
uh, and indeed there must That's be. Right. That's right. So they could work together and share any kind of legal costs or whatever. And um, yeah, Facebook could have a real uh, domino or snowball on their hands. So, yeah. Yep. Here are some of the funnest headlines that I've picked out recently. Uh, the, Evan, you found this one about what I learned from going head to head with um, OpenAI Codex. Yeah, uh, it looks like it's uh, even from a developer's perspective, pretty, uh, pretty amazing, pretty advanced. Yeah, the the person that wrote this post that I'll tweet out right now. I just tweeted out. Um, it says, is my career over? Experiments with Codex, where developers are now playing around with OpenAI's Codex, which basically allows anyone to make apps verbally. You just talk to you know, the microphone and tell it what you want, and it codes it for you. And, and Really not just a toy. It's not a gimmick. Not at all. Not, a real. not at all a toy, not at all a gimmick. Very, very, very real. And it's scaring the bejesus out of um, developers. And the 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 article that I just that Evan found that I just retweeted goes. It's an incredibly thorough, incredibly well written post where they test all kinds of different things to to really put it through its paces to to really get a measure for how worried should developers be about being disrupted by OpenAI Codex. And the conclusion is. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of cause for concern here. So you can read that one for yourself. And thanks for Evan for finding that one. The next one is from Nalormi from Nikkei, uh, which is the, the leading uh, publication out of uh, Japan. And the headline is Dispelling the Myths and Rumors About China's Digital Currency. Every technological evolution spawns a crowd of blinded a crowd blinded by ignorance. So what really is going on? And uh, so just retweeting that one. And thank you for that one, Nalormi. The next one is from the South China Morning Post from Bibi, who usually joins us in the audience, about um, Huawei's CFO, who's still in Canada, um, being held there. And America is asking for that Huawei CFO to be extradited to the U.S. And that's trials underway. And now the headline from China, the South China Morning Post, says that the Canadian government lawyer says that Huawei's executive, the CFO, Meng, caused HSBC, one of the biggest banks um, in the world, really, but is based out of uh, Hong Kong, uh, that that this executive from Huawei caused HSBC to suffer deprivation by lying about uh, Huawei's business in Iran and exposing HSBC to potential risk um, for Meng's extradition coincides with China's conviction and of Canadian Michael's favor of espionage. And that, I, I happen to have found something that I don't think anyone else has found. This is truly wild. So at the same time, that this trial is going underway to see if Canada is going to hand over Huawei's CFO to America, which if they do, she's likely to go to jail for the rest of her life. Just that's just kind of how America works. And, and it looks like they're going to hand her over and China knows that. And Canada is going to decide this like on Monday when they go back to court 
but that's looking like what's going to happen. So in the past 24 hours, um, a Canadian man living in China for a very long time, like a decade, named Michael Spaver, was arrested three years ago with no charges. And he's been sitting in a jail cell for three years. And now they announced 24 hours ago um, he's um, going to be spending a lot more time in jail and we're charging him with being a spy. And now what I have, and I'm tweeting out right now, is a video that just came out uh, yesterday of one of his friends in China who's known him for very many years saying he's not a spy. And I, he, he, you know, and here's video of him. You can watch video of Michael Spaver having, having dinner, talking with his friend and, you know, and uh, being a very nice guy and, and what he's all about and what he is. And this video was made before he was ever, you know, arrested by the Chinese. And this video is like, hey, check out this guy, Michael, fantastic guy, totally teaching us about this part of China where he lives. He loves this town in China where he lives. He's helping the businesses in the town where he lives. The businesses in that town appreciate him. On and on and on and on and on. Check out the video. Decide for yourself if you think this guy so is a Tyler, or not. Yeah. I think this guy has a new job, too. He could become Wilson Edwards, the um, Swiss gentleman <laughs> they're looking for. Um. That's another headline related to this crazy drama this week. We, although changing gears a little bit, um, there was an investigation, uh, obviously, around the, the WHO, World Health Organization, did a bit of a probe into the um, Wuhan lab, you know, a year ago or so. And they concluded nothing to see here. And then it was revealed that the leading British investigator on that team had financial ties to the Wuhan lab. So that caused a, 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 the call for a new probe to be done without people that don't have a conflict of interest or any kind of economic interest or ties to the lab. Okay, makes sense. However, that probe is now kind of end, just ended about 24 hours ago, and the investigators, one of whom was Danish, um, as soon as, you know, it was abruptly concluded is now coming out publicly saying this was all a sham. China forced us to agree to uh, the terms uh, under which they would allow us to do this second probe. It's only if we agreed we, we wouldn't find anything worth finding and concluded there's no need for further investigations. Preemptively, that was part of the agreement before they let us do this second probe. And they were not um, helpful in any way of helping us find anything that we were hoping to find. And, oh, by the way, we do think it came from the fucking lab, by the way. That is our new conclusion. Go fuck yourself. Telling us we can't come up with our own conclusions. That was his conclusion at the end. So, and, by the way, we need, and there, there are other outcries, we need to have an international uprising and reconsider if China should even be part of the WHO. That's their new that's their actual conclusion, despite the fact that they signed a contract saying that they would agree they would do this probe only to say, no, nothing to find here. So uh, in it, while that's happening, literally the day before. So that was 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago, China was filled with headlines from its biggest um, publications, China Daily the People's Voice, Xinhua, were all putting out this story of 
what's the what's this uh fake person's name wilson something chris edwards i think wilson edwards wilson edwards the swiss guy yeah so the all of the chinese publications are saying well we uh there's wilson edwards a swiss biologist is saying and they quote him as saying you know uh, america is trying to you know uh, doing this second probe for illegitimate reasons to deflect from the fact that they are actually the source of COVID. And so then the Swiss, you know, are very organized people, as Florian well knows, as anyone who's ever been to Switzerland knows. Switzerland is in, impeccably organized. It's not like most countries where they don't have a database of every person up to the, well, Japan does as well, by the way. But Switzerland is insanely organized country uh, in terms of, you know, keeping track of things. Uh, Their trains are impeccably on time, as everyone knows. They make the best watches on the planet. That's not a coincidence. And so when when this quote-unquote Swiss biologist with a non-Swiss name, mind you, um, that led the Swiss, Swiss authorities to investigate who is this Swiss biologist, of which they realized not only is there not a Swiss biologist with the name of, what was it again? Wilson something? Cheryl? Edwards. Wilson Edwards. Not only is there no Swiss biologists named Wilson Edwards, there's no Swiss citizens ever alive or deceased with that name. So this is I a fake. I guess there aren't going to be any Swiss watch sales in china next year we probably yeah ask the australians the australian uh all the entire australian wine industry got banned from china just because australia said we should have a second probe so yeah um yeah bye bye to the swiss um watch uh industry in china not like they weren't copying it all already but the the fact that this was a completely made up individual and um and switzerland had to come out and be like uh yeah that's you made that person up that person doesn't exist and the their own embassy in beijing the swiss embassy of beijing put on their verified twitter account uh we are looking for this individual (laughs) who doesn't exist and uh, if you happen to know this mysterious uh fake person please contact us because we would love to talk with them and uh, just kind of making a joke of all of it. So, yeah, that's that's another evolving story, which, you know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But back to the head, the interesting headlines of the moment. Uh, we'll find out also probably on Monday what happens to this um, Huawei's CFO. And by the way, it wasn't only that Michael, uh, that the, uh, the Canadian citizen who's now been... Uh, essentially imprisoned for espionage, which seems like total bullshit. Again, watch the video I just tweeted out from his friend, which includes a lot of video of him. (laughs) But there was another uh, Canadian citizen in China that was also arrested and imprisoned. So it's an interesting um, coincidence of the timing of those arrests, to say the least. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was on mic. I'm reading more into this Wilson Edwards thing, and it's just more hilarious as the minute by the minute. I'm sorry. It's comical. Anyway, if if it if it wasn't you know so you know impactful on this whole thing. So the next interesting headline is from Renjanth via TechCrunch. It says lawmakers ask Amazon 
what it plans to do with the palm print biometrics data. <laughs> and that was a headline we found about two weeks ago that Amazon's going to, isn't first, there was two headlines, one about three weeks ago that Amazon is going to use palm print detection to identify people at uh, Whole Foods because they bought Whole Foods a few years ago, a big supermarket in America. And when you check out, you can pay with your palm. Okay. And then there was another headline about two weeks ago that Amazon's now going to pay, what was it? Some, some amount of money, $20, $50, something like that, for you to scan your palm. And now there's a new headline that lawmakers are asking Amazon what it plans to do with the palm print biometric data. A group of senators sent new Amazon CEO Andy Jassy a letter on Friday pressing the company for more information about how it scans and stores computer palm data. And in the new letter, Senators Amy Klobuchar added again, Amy, we got, God damn, I love this woman. And uh, Anna Marie, who happens to have uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar as an advisor in her company, Anna Marie, who's on stage here, um, has sent a, a request to join us here in Tech News Around the World. And that would be truly phenomenal because Amy Klobuchar, besides being a presidential candidate in the previous election, is... I have to imagine high on the list of presidential candidates for the Democratic Party for the next election, uh, assuming Joe Biden doesn't rerun. And she also is very likely to win that uh, uh, if she is a presidential candidate in that election. Um, she scored Tyler, a Tyler. Yes. I just want it for the record. Uh, she's not an advisor to my company. Oh, sorry. She's our congressional sponsor to my foundation, my 501. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Just to clarify, just yes. want to make sure it's on the record. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. And, Still a big congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Amy is doing God's work uh, on, on Capitol Hill um, as she's one of the few people there who actually understands what the fuck's going on with data and the importance of data and the value of data. So it's not a surprise that to see her name as part of this. So it says Amazon's expansion of biometric data collection through Amazon One raises serious questions about Amazon's plans for this data and it respects and its respect for user privacy, including about how Amazon may use the data for advertising and tracking purposes. The senators wrote in a letter embedded below. The lawmakers also requested information on how many people have enrolled in Amazon One to date how Amazon will secure the sensitive data, and if the company has ever paired the palm prints with facial recognition data it collects elsewhere. Genius question that only a geek would think to ask. Cer certainly, I mean, I can see Amy asking that, but I don't see, I can't think of another politician in Washington, D.C. that has the the kind of tech chops to uh, understand the, 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 the need to ask that question. So, um, very cool. And you can see the letter that they just sent. Uh, it's actually quite short, where they say, uh, Dear Mr. Jassy, we write regarding concerns about Amazon's recent expansion and promotion of Amazon One, a palm print recognition system, and to request information about the actions Amazon's taking to protect user data, privacy, and security. It appears to be a biometric data recognition system that allows consumers to pay for their purchase in the grocery stores, bookstores, and other retail settings using their palm print. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. You can read the whole thing. I read about half of it just then, but um, you get the idea. So I'm tweeting that out to the Tech News Twitter account, and let's cross our uh, our fingers and hope that uh, Amy has a, some spare time in the weeks to come and can uh, join us in here and just give us a, a 
a little look as to what it's like to be her in DC <laughs> surrounded by people who probably don't have the, her level of understanding of uh, tech. So, um, and, and what she imagines the future holds for everybody involved or, or you know, from her perspective. So the next um, interesting headline at the moment is as if that one wasn't interesting enough, the, this one from Alexandra from Yahoo finance that black Latino LGBTQ investors see cryptocurrencies as a new path to uh, wealth and cryptocurrencies are hot, but black Latino and LGBTQ investors buy it more than white Americans seeing it as a path to equity and wealth. And then we got this one um, from both Nalormi and Ranjith. Um, simul- well, they're both in the same thread together. Nalormi is tweeting out the article from the BBC that UK troops uh, have sent to get Britons out of Afghanistan as UK announces around 600 troops are to be deployed to Afghanistan to assist British nationals to leave as the Taliban now encircles Kabul and has taken over the other kind of minor, um, the kind of second tier cities. And then Renjan also has Denmark to shut Kabul embassy. Finland evacuates staff. And um, Denmark will temporarily shut its Kabul embassy and evacuate all staff. And Finland will take in about 130 local Afghan uh, refugees into Finland. Incredibly fortunate individuals that they are. Finland could do a lot worse than uh, immigrate to Finland, by the way. Um, uh, Really an impressive country. uh, The best education system uh, on the planet at the moment. So... um, yeah, very concerning what's going on there. America as well is reportedly has 3,000 Marines going in to help the uh, American embassy, which apparently is the size of a small city in and of itself. The American embassy in Kabul is uh, quite a substantial area with apparently thousands of Americans are there. And so that's why you need thousands of military uh, uh, Marines to help them um, exit safely. So um, the next headline is that from wired via anita that samsung has its own ai designed chip soon others will too synopsis which sells software for designing semiconductors to dozens of companies is adding artificial intelligence to its arsenal makes sense and yeah i have to agree everyone's going to be using ai in that capacity in the very near term and Evan, you have one here from the Financial Times. What a $600 million heist tells us about the future of crypto. No doubt about the the big hack that happened this week where somebody took $611 million worth of crypto out of a blockchain and, and now has returned it. But industry intervention over hacking raises questions for digital asset enthusiasts is the subheadline from the Financial Times. And Vidney, you have one about India attracts $2 billion in fintech investment in the first half of 2021. Insurance tech has also been gaining popularity among investors, no doubt. And so is edtech, and so is delivery. Those are the hot categories in the first half of 2021. Tyler, can somebody with deep expertise on the, uh, on the Bitcoin and all that speak to that last story, like a story ago? Mm-hmm. With regards to the the heist, because that's that's kind of one of those big, you know, catastrophic issues. So how how is that community um, 
addressing that or rationalizing that or what have you. Ben has got Ben on stage. Yeah, Ben might be good to answer that. Yeah, so I mean, it wasn't Bitcoin. Uh, that sort of thing is somewhat less likely on Bitcoin. I don't know all the details of it. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all, that sort of thing, though. Uh, with 10,000 projects out there, most of them not decentralized, um, with a lot of people out there who don't understand that they're security protocols, uh, these sort of things are inevitable, unfortunately. Um, I don't know all the details of this particular scam, though. To me, it's just like, here's, here's another one. Not, not really that surprised. So, yeah. Okay, that helps a lot, because in tech, generally speaking, very few uh, projects and companies are properly secure. So it's it's another kind of uh, issue within 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 the blockchain and crypto. That thank you, Ben. That 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 helps me kind of um, compartmentalize, right? I think uh, I think Corey. Yeah, that's, that's I think looking at it. exactly be a good one for a deep dive in another session to look into exactly what did happen there once the dust has settled, and then to to, to look at you know how wide it would all would happen on other blockchains. Yeah, I, Corey, you just joined banks, on stage. You know, I think... Banks get hacked all the time, right? I mean, it's not like this. Every enterprise or institution kind of gets hacked now, so it's, it's much worse. Yeah, I can give you the two Go ahead, Corey. It, it was a bad smart contract. So it was a smart contract that was not secure, and they took advantage of a couple of lines of smart contract to essentially extract the coin. And that's the, the very simple reason. There's a lot more to it as far as the story goes in terms of how they tracked it down and who they found and all that. But the actual exploit itself was just a smart, bad smart contract that wasn't audited very well. And these are things that can happen if, uh, so I think, you know, in the future with any smart contracts, you really need it. We need to have some reputable smart contract auditing firms that are able to, to, to verify and validate these smart contracts are written um, well and as is. And uh, that was the problem here. That's a, that, that's, Thank Sorry, that's, an, that, that, that's an important, so if that's the case, if it's a smart contract error, this is really important for people to understand that smart contracts can't do much without, generally speaking, without reference to an oracle, some trusted third party to intermediate between the blockchain that knows nothing else but when were these transactions done, in what order were transactions performed to the nearest 10 minutes. That's all a blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain knows. If you then try and use smart contracts, you're often trying to intermediate with a third party with third party data. And therefore, you need to trust that third party to put the data on and off the blockchain correctly. And this is a fundamental problem. It's called the Oracle problem. It's more than a problem. It's a paradox. It's a flaw. And it's a flaw with a lot of the whole smart contract uh, world. And the other thing to say is there's a very good reason Bitcoin has very basic smart contracts that aren't what we call Turing complete. They're not general programming language. They're very stripped down intentionally by design because there's a base layer protocol. You don't want that. It would be a bit like having TCP IP on the internet, whose sole job is to break up bits of data and then rejoin it together at the other end, it'd be like saying, hey, I've got a plan. Let's, pro let's put programming language into TCP IP. Why? Put it on the next layer up and the next layer after that. So this is just a fundamental problem with most of the, with most of the projects. So thanks for that clarification, Corey. Thanks, Corey. But, but that implies that there is a, there's, it looks like there's an architectural evolution here as you're describing, Ben that needs to be really clearly communicated from that community because, and Evan, you're absolutely right. Like pretty much everybody's getting hacked and stuff like that. But as a FinTech exclusive, you know, even currency category, it would be great to see some leadership to, just to help build um, confidence, right? This is just something that would help conf build confidence. That, that it's, it's a totally different issue and an issue that, that really needs a lot more um, uh, 
attention is the, the, the rise of the chief security officer and just the need for deployment grade uh, apps, it, just period, to protect consumers and things like that. Yeah, just but, like you have a SOX 2 audit or you have penetration testing, pen testing done on, on normal code for fintech applications, banking applications. These, these sort of things need to be done for anything. Uh, and in the decentralized, well, sorry, in this current world with smart contracts, there's not that uh, institutional grade uh, of, of audibility happening on these things. And that's that's the danger and concern here. They're also just fundamentally unnecessary in the first place most of the time. You're writing a smart contract on a blockchain to try and achieve something that could be done without the blockchain. Much faster, much cheaper, much more distributed around the world. It won't be decentralized, but you're not decentralized anyway if you're trusting an oracle. People just, keep, just don't get this. It's so simple. The only thing that is decentralized is Bitcoin. And it, all it does is order transactions. Nothing else. It's not clever. But it is solving a real problem, which is that if money is digital... How do you know it hasn't been spent before? And how do you prevent people copying it? If money is just a number, back when money was scraped into the walls of a cave in granite, super cool, pretty clear if it's been messed with, if the ledger's been messed with. Paper, a little bit easier to mess with, but a little bit more flexible. Computers, 100% possible to mess with. When money becomes a number, you copy the number, somebody else has got your money. That's what Bitcoin solved. And that's the only major advancement that I think has been made, only massive step change that has been made with digital money so far. Everything else, I, don't, I just don't get, unless I'm stupid. No, there's one thing that I really don't get is uh, this hacker apparently stole money, right, from the fintech and did actually turn him around to become a hero. <laughs> this is something that I, I, I just don't understand. How come he is not prosecuted? He's a hacker and he stole because money. Because he wrote in his, where he put the money. He wrote, he, he had to create a box uh, on the blockchain mm -hmm. to take the money from where it was. Uh, the bat, let me put it this way. Um, I don't want to use a metaphor. Let's just say what it is. He had to create a space to receive the money. And the wallet. The, the wallet. And then, yeah, let's call it a wallet. For the, he named the wallet, I'm giving the money back before he even took it. And his argument was, I'm securing the money. I'm not taking it from you. It's currently insecure on your system. I'm going to put it in a secure system. So it can't, so no, the, whoever owns this money. He's a white, he's so, a white hat. <laughs> so it can't be stolen. If, some, if anyone else finds this vulnerability, they might likely take it and run with it. It's insecure. That's a lot of people's money. I'm going to secure it because I can do it better than you can. And then I'm going to uh, inform you that, um, you have an insecurity. I've got the money waiting here. As soon as you have a, have a secure way to store it, I'm gonna. Re I've already planning to return it. I even named my wallet where I took. I'm holding it. I'm excited to return this to you whenever you're ready. Exactly. There's a lot of white hats out there that will inform companies of vulnerabilities, and if they don't solve them within a reasonable period of time, so uh, um, Cheryl, will... here's how it might help. Imagine a bank had an actual hole in the side of the building in the back. And if you drove to the back of the bank, there's a huge hole in the back. And there, somebody had blown off a, you know, there's a, there's a big hole, enough for someone to climb into. And, and if you poked your head in there, you would see uh, about a billion dollars in cash. Now, if you, you happen to have an actual uh, car and an, an armorized tank of a vault of a car 
with you in the back of the bank. Now, should you just, you know, drive drive away in your car and wait for somebody to come by and see that hole and climb in it and take that money out or take that money, put it in your tank of a secured car and then phone the bank and say, hey, your funds were insecure. I just secured it. Uh, let me know when you have a secured way to return it and I will return it. I'll call the police. I, don't have that, I will call the police. No, I'll call the police and watch it. Make sure the police come and then before I leave. That's what you would do in a physical in, in the physical world. Right. But in the try calling nine one one and say, "Hey nine one one, I found a vulnerability on a website." They're gonna they won't they won't have a fucking clue what you're talking about. No, so so the thing is, there's no police in this decentralized. Correct. There is no. Police that's why you need Robin Hodel. And that, to build on that analogy, Tyler, that's a perfect analogy to build on the difference between white, gray, and black hat hackers. Right? So your your white hat hacker sitting in the car park will do what Cheryl says. She's white hat. She's going to go, hey, there's a hole in your in your back of your bank, and the bank may or may not do anything about it. They may or may not take you seriously. They may not or may or may not decide. Ben, you're in and out your audio. Oh, sorry. Can you do something better now? Yeah. There you go. So yeah, if you're a white hat, you'll do what you're doing, Cheryl. You'll uh, that's me going around the garden on my new electric unicycle. <laughs> if you're a white hat, you'll do what Cheryl says, and you'll just ring the bank and say, "Hey, there's a hole in the bank," and they might take you seriously. They might not. They might do something about it. They might not. A grey hat will will grab the money, hold it, and say, "I'll give it back when you short, sort your shit out," uh, and a black hat will take it and bugger off. <laughs> Basically, it's a cool analogy, Tyler. But Ben, your metaphor to to, to fully. Put throw that on the, on that metaphor is you're 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 suggesting <clears throat> or you're you're stating the fact which is some of those banks are built in a way that it's not about somebody blowing a hole in the side. Some of them are architecturally built with doors that only some people can see, and then they they finally come up and they test it. They try to kick the door and it kicks open, but they're architecturally designed in a way that doesn't it's there there's not a solid wall to protect it all the way around, and it just takes a matter of time before some of this expertise kind of, hey, there's a freaking door there. And then whether they're white or, or, or black or gray, they kind of do what they're going to do. And that's, that's the yeah. kind of the issue. That's, that's the problem with, with that's the, not the problem, that's the world we live in where we've got these uh, hack cultures, one piece of it, but the other one is just with regards to just a lack of, of um, I, I think that the CTOs should have some kind of almost civil engineer type of professional professional engineering training or, or something to help profession, you know, professionalize and therefore certify some level of security and kind of deployment grade readiness that apps have, let alone fintech, blockchain, you know, services and things like that. It's just some thoughts. And then the main reason why you would do this with such a high profile is you don't even know if you can trust the internal parties. You know, who wrote the code? Who wrote that? Did they deliberately leave it? Is it ineptitude or was it criminal? And so, you know, you have to kind of go big or go home with a high profile. I'm taking this money for this reason. And here's the proof that I'm not a thief um, by, by, by doing it this way. Holy crap. That's a whole other thing about this whole app economy. I've got a little tiny or a lengthy rather privacy, you know, in terms of, of service kind of contract that this little app is, is, is proposing. And I go to their website and stuff like that. That's another spot on observation, Chris. Okay. Next headline here is from Evan about drones. Autonomous robots could be deployed in underground mines to improve safety. Um, and they, there's a photo well, of a mining tech is a huge industry, especially like in countries Australia, Russia, elsewhere. I mean, just 
tons of money literally going down the the mines. <laughs> yeah, and there's a photo. There's photos in the tweet I just twatted on Twitter. Uh, where you can see the drone down in the bottom of the mine with a bunch of miners, and you can get a look at the real-life use case there. It's really cool looking. And also from Evan from the Daily Mail, a Chinese billionaire wind farm in Texas on 140,000 acres is now being blocked. His name is Sun Guangjin, 59-year-old, had hoped to build a wind farm on part of the 140,000 acres he's holding in Texas near the Air Force Base. And uh, for some reason, um, they're not letting him, this Chinese individual open a, a, a wind farm next to the Air Force Base. So it's being blocked. And then Sonos, who we mentioned earlier, which um, Google is infringing on five of their patents, Sonos is considering its own voice assistant. <laughs> Here's what we know. Uh, Sonos is exploring the potential of its own voice assistant, offering an alternative to Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant with one big advantage, um, which you have to check the article to find out what that is. And then here's... I, a I, expect, I, I expect every gadget to need its own voice personality, Tyler. So it's not just uh, Sonos, but every, every big tech brand will want its own sort of unique differentiated voice i think so they're going to let the i think the loot they're going to and ultimately they're going to let the user pick the voice and you're going to have celebrities monetize like snoop dogg's going to make a killing by using his voice you know to talk with as your assistant and you you know i want i want the snoop dogg voice um or the samuel l jackson that would be good too the tyler voice or the morgan freeman would be good um Daimler and Bosch, which is Mercedes-Benz and the kind of the the parts maker of uh, a lot of German cars, which is Bosch. So Daimler and Bosch give up on their robo-taxi dreams, is the headline. Daimler and Bosch are giving up on their robo-taxi partnership, a joint project called Athena. Um, kind of a bit of a surprising headline. Self-driving cars are really hard. Yeah. The next one is from the BBC, uh, from Evan. It says, uh, related to COVID, um, record your cough to help improve detection, says the UK government. The government wants people to send in samples of themselves breathing, coughing, and reading aloud. And that relates to another article I saw just a minute ago, that there's now an iPhone app claiming to be able to give you a COVID test just by listening to you cough in an iPhone app. Let me find it real quick. Cause I've got about 50 other tabs open. Um, uh, yeah, they, they've done clinical trials. This, this thing really works. Yeah. I'm not sure why it's not being used more widely, but yeah, but it's there. AIs can similar to Shazam, how Shazam can pick out any song after one second out of a billion songs. It can also tell after listening to hundreds of thousands of coughs and you tell it which one has COVID and which doesn't, it can start to understand the difference between a COVID cough and a non-COVID cough. And now there you have a COVID test just by an iPhone app that can listen to coughs. So, or at least, you know, the question is how accurate are they? Um, but um, yeah, really fascinating. And then this one also from Evan, what an interesting question this is as uh, the kind of, robots are taking off and and companion ais are booming and in fact our our friend uh, jean francois 
who usually joins us each day on stage, has one such uh, robotic companion company. And, and there's several and they're booming. And the question is, how long before people start having sex with robots and how should lawmakers respond? Is there a situation? It's a what? It's a sticky situation. <laughs> so Tyler, I already know. I already know what's going to happen. They're going to ban robot sex in China first. <laughs> That's right. No, because Chris. because of the population. Yeah, of right? course, like, I know. They're going to explicitly come out and say it, like, no robot sex. Period. Because it's all about the babies. Advancements in technology have resulted in the design of hyper-realistic Wi-Fi connected programmable sex robots that can mimic human responses. But what do these development means for how we regulate interactions with sex bots in the future? Especially yeah. if it's, uh, you know, soup has super intelligence and, and everything else. Um, allow marriage. Uh, uh, you know, I wonder if they'll allow registered marriages for them. The, in well, in new, Japan, they already allow registered. Yeah, in Japan they do, yeah. In a new article in the bulletin, the Law Society, uh, Finders University Law Research analyzed the factors Australian lawmakers have to consider, not just Australian, pretty much every country, have to consider when they weigh up whether it should be legal to import, own, and use sex bots to, that resemble human adults. Critics argue sex robots objectify women. Well, what about homosexual men? Wouldn't it, would, wouldn't it objectify men and vice versa? Wouldn't, uh, what about uh, women who have sex robot men? It would objectify men equally, wouldn't it? So anyway, the this clearly sexist author says it would objectify women <laughs> and increase the risk of sexual violence by desensitizing people to the way they treat living beings. There you go. You've degendered the second sentence. Let's try degendering both sentences. So some robots can even be programmed to reject a user's sexual advances, which mimic a refusal of consent, which is a key element of proving sexual offenses in Australia, which then begs the question of robot rape. On the other hand, advocates claim benefits of sex robots can include empowering older Australians and people with disabilities, addressing sexual related anxiety, exactly. addressing sexual related anxiety, treating dysfunctions, promoting safe sex and creating a safe place for people who feel insecure about their sexual orientation. A recent study in the therapeutics benefits of sex robots found that the top three suggestions for the use of robots were for patients with social anxiety. That was 50%. People who do not have a partner but still want a sex life without resorting to fleeting acquaintances or prostitution, 50%. And premature ejaculation, 47% for a grand total of 147%. So I guess it, you could have more, you could select more than one option. <laughs> According to sex therapists. Maddie McCarthy, now an associate at the law firm LK, recently completed her honors research into this topic with the College of Business, Government and Law. She says advances in technology coupled with increasing demand of public concern means Australian lawmakers are likely to be confronted with calls for the regulation of sex robots in the near future. Here's the quote. Legislators will have to balance competing and and complex individual and public interests which pose new ethical, regulatory, and legal challenges because of advancements in technology. While no Australian legislation currently regulates or prohibits sexual intercourse with robots, there are regulations on childlike sex dolls, which have been addressed by the Commonwealth. These statutory provisions may guide any uh, future laws 
uh, on the use of adult sex robots, but there are new factors which have to be considered. Even if sex robots are prohibited in Australia, it's likely that the courts may consider such offenses to be less objectively serious than sexual offenses against humans. Well, geez, I would hope so. And sentences may be more likely to fall at the lower end of the penalty range, even where maximum penalties are equivalent. For example, courts have consistently imposed lower end sentences for childlike sex doll offenses, despite the maximum penalty range of 10 to 15 years. I've got, I've got to say, Tyler, EdTech, FinTech, now it's SexTech. Yeah, that, well, they, that's not a new thing. I've had that topic at my conferences for years, actually. Decades. One of my um, yeah. Humphrey po- Policy Fellows um, colleagues, this was probably two years ago, she did a joint, um, a joint paper on this very subject, and she went very deep. I'm glad you mentioned that part in the middle. No, no pun intended, the- right? Yes, exactly. Okay. They didn't use the word um, a sort of sexual or sex equity, but she did in her paper because that was a lot of, you know, as much as you rate harms versus benefits of anything, right? That there were a lot of benefits to be had from this sort of technology. And it was it was about, you know, kind of leveling the playing field for, for people who can't, can't won't. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, have issues there. And um, the other thing, the other thing she raised in terms of um, legalities, if there were, you know, harm coming to such beings, she's like, well, there's, she's the analogy of like, well, if I'm angry after a day of work, and I go into my kid's toy room and pull out, you know, Teddy, the stuffed bear and beat the shit out of him, you know, how is that? Like, where? You know, where, where is the line and is it because it's a robot and what level of sentience would, you know, prompt that crossing over a threshold? It was yeah. really interesting. I'll have yeah. to try to find What if the there. teddy, what if the, yeah, what if it was not a teddy bear, but a, like a very humanoid robot exactly. and you beat the shit out of it? You know what? Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that abuse in the same, yeah, the, you know, um, why do we make a distinction of sexual contact with robots versus abusive contact with robots? Would you? Would you penalize somebody for assaulting a robot? Yeah. And I've said for a long Actually, time, I... uh, Tyler, in this, uh, to a few people in this room and my husband as well, if those of us old enough to remember the, the movie Demolition Man from way back when, I swear to God, that was the most like predictive, futuristic, <laughs> futuristically accurate movie of its time because it was, you know, sort of predicting this, uh, non-human contact, you know, sexual activity, the, all the things that, you know, are actually coming to fruition happening now. But then again, every restaurant will be a Taco Bell if you follow the Demolition Man timeline. Uh, Anna Marie, I got to push back on that. Every ta- every uh, restaurant will be a Subway. <laughs> if we have our way with yep. it. So the next headline from Dr. Fran from Yahoo uh, Finance. Yes, Johan? Uh, the thing is that apparently Tahiti was hit by a 7.2 magnitude earthquake two hours ago, and that's just oh, start yeah. services on the network. Yeah, uh, I just well, since you are the news guys, you 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 probably will find more uh, information, and you probably have people around you that actually live there. You want done Tahiti earthquake. Tahiti or Haiti? You said Tahiti. Uh, sorry. I saw Haiti. Ha- Haiti. Sorry, oh. my 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 miss. Haiti. Okay. Seven point two. Yes, seven point two. Um, which is for those who don't know, 
uh, Haiti is the other the other half of that island is the Dominican Republic. Haiti's on the side of the island near Cuba, and it was just off the coast. Uh, I can see precisely where it happened. It's just in the peninsula near Cuba, and uh, so Cuba, the eastern half of Cuba should be impacted by a potential tsunami as well. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, there's going back 50 minutes ago, powerful earthquake strikes Haiti, according to the New York Times, high casualties feared, and there's video from CNN uh, right now on the ground there already. So I'm going to tweet out a link to the CNN video on the ground in um, probably Port-au-Prince, I would imagine. So hopefully everybody's okay. The, Thank you for sharing. Yeah. The next headline from Dr. Fran um, about Yahoo Finance. The next step for us is, oh, it's about a startup, um, which is a really interesting startup called um, what, Sw- Swimmingly, I believe. And they call themselves the Airbnb for pools. And they want to expand to tennis courts and patios and basketball courts where people can, um, if you have a swimming pool that you're not using, you can let people use your pool by on an hourly I basis. I use this, Tyler. It's it's fabulous. I, I, I use someone's uh, hot tub, jacuzzi pool. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, one of them was on Shark Tank, I remember, some time ago. They were... Yeah, and then but the idea book it book it for an hour or two and bring your friends. Yeah, uh, tennis courts. They want to get into tennis courts and basketball courts and just people with large backyards. So I let my dog go for a run, maybe. Um, but they're starting out with pools. So there you go. I just tweeted that out. It's a little interview with the uh, CEO. The next one from Vinay. In oh, we covered that. India tracks two billion in fintech. Jason has one right now. Uh, Jason Henkhaus, and let me tweet it first. This is an interesting one, and it says, "A blind." This is from MIT. A blind man can perceive objects after a gene from an algae was added to his eye. Researchers are trying to genetically re-engineer people's retinas to restore vision, and a fifty-year-old, fifty-eight-year-old blind man, barely able to perceive whether it was day or night. After receiving gene therapy to add light-sensitive molecules to one of his retinas, he could locate a notebook on a table. Scientists in Europe and the U.S. are reporting today that they that they describe what they describe as the first successful use of optogenetics to improve a person's vision. That feat involved introducing a gene from an algae into the man's retina. I think that a new field is being born. A professor at University of Basel who led the research said during a conference call with journalists and the doctors employed gene therapy to add a light sensing molecule to one of the man's eyes. The gene they added called crimson comes from a single celled algae species that is able to sense sunlight and move toward it. The idea of adding the gene is to engineer retina cells called ganglions. Um, so that they are able to respond to light, sending visual signals to the brain. The strategy, being funded by a French company called Gensite Biologics, requires patients to wear a set of electronic goggles to capture light and blah, blah, blah. But you can now see all of this from the Twitter account. And thank you to Jason for a really eye-opening article. 
pun very much intended. So the next one is kind of related. It's from the Washington Post that nobody can see your eyes when you wear a VR headset and Facebook wants to change that. And by the way, so does Apple because uh, you and you can see what this looks like now. You can now see people's eyes on the outside of their VR headsets. And I just twatted that on Twitter. You can see that at TNATW. And we just saw a, an Apple patent on this precise technology where your eyes will be, there's a screen now on the outside of your VR headset. And on the outside of that screen, it can be whatever you want, but most by default, it will likely be your eyes so that people will know if you're making eye contact with them or not, or where you're looking. And then and it'd be much less disturbing for people watching you walk down the street with a VR headset. I'm hoping you don't crash into something. Uh, so the next headlines from BBC, the fiendish new trick cyber criminals are using to evade capture. Bitcoin researchers discover a new darknet tool criminals are using to help launder their digital money. Uh, in the cyber realm, this battle between criminals and the authorities has been raging for years, and a new service has launched on the darknet offering criminals a way to check how clean their digital coins are. We're seeing criminals start to fight back against blockchain analytics, and this service is the first, explained Tom R Robinson, chief, scientific, chief scientist and founder at analysis provider Elliptic, who discovered the website where you can, uh, it's called Anti-Analysis, and you researchers tested Anti-Analysis to see how the new criminal tool works. Basically, it gives you a score of how clean your coins are. It's called anti-analysis, and criminals are now able to check their own Bitcoin wallets to see whether any association with criminal activity could be flagged by authorities. Elliptic says the discovery shows how sophisticated cybercrime networks are becoming and how worried criminals are about getting caught. It's a very valuable technique. If your funds are tainted, you can then do more laundering to try and remove that association with criminal activity until you have clean coins. Very interesting. So tweeting that one out to the Tech News Twitter account. And Amazon will monitor workers' keystrokes to combat, combat data theft. We covered this uh, yesterday and again earlier today because what was the insane number of um, um, rogue employees trying to get... 65 million. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, around, it was something 60 million-ish uh, reportedly are trying to get valuable custom... Uh, uh, in, um, company data and uh, Amazon's combating that with monitoring um, every keyboard and mouse movement of their customer service workers to, to see who's accessing data they shouldn't. And then from the South China Morning Post, Facebook and Amazon seek U.S. approval for undersea cable after China Mobile's exit. Uh, the tech giants hope to begin commercial operation of the data connection between the Philippines and California by uh, late 2022. Facebook and Amazon. The tech giants hope to begin commercial. The U.S. has repeatedly expressed concern about China's role in handling network traffic and the potential for espionage. And indeed, even China is saying that, you know, everyone's paranoid over whoever actually owns these inter international sea cables. And more and more, it's it used to be governments, and it's more and more becoming these big companies like Facebook and Amazon and Google. 
So it says Facebook and Amazon have asked the U.S. government for approval to operate a new undersea data cable between the Philippines and California after China Mobile agreed to exit the plan. The two companies told the FCC they intend to start commercial operation by late 2022 and said the new data connection will provide significant new capacity on routes where capacity demand continues to increase substantially each year. The companies in a joint filing said the new cable will help to support Facebook's applications and provide Amazon and its affiliates with capacity to support Amazon's cloud services and connect its data centers. A Facebook spokeswoman said the project parties agreed the best path forward to complete the construction and bringing the cable system into operation was to restructure the system ownership, allowing the parties to deliver on the goal of bringing connectivity to more people and regions. They just want to make sure that essentially that they get a really good map. So when the Jimmy Carter submarine goes and makes some upgrades, they know where to park the thing and make sure that it gets a proper amount of attention. That is a freaking haul, man. That's 7,300 miles. I mean, that's a long cable. The U.S. has repeatedly expressed concerns about China's role in handling network traffic and the potential for espionage. Around 300 subsea cables from form the backbone of the Internet carrying 99% of the world's data traffic. In in September 2020, Facebook, Amazon, and China Mobile withdrew their application to connect San Francisco and Hong Kong as part of the Bay-to-Bay Express cable system. Yeah, probably not not worth risking that one. Of interest during World War I and World War II, the very first action taken by British government, this is before any other troop movement or anything else, the very first action was slicing the cables. Um, it's we have not had one in a recent era for global conflict, so that's going to be something interesting if something happened in the region. Chris, you you sound like you may have become the the latest um, um, victim of Delta. Uh, yeah, I'm not feeling so hot right here. Oh dear. Uh oh. Uh oh. I'm double vaxxed. I'm double vaxxed. I think it's just a cold. There, but yeah, there are a lot of colds going around. I have one. What's happened is everyone's immune systems have been kind of out of order, not being used the last year and a half. So now we're people are getting back together, and we're all catching like massive colds. So it's crazy. Evan, you've got one here from Fast Company. Yale researchers say social media's outrage machine has the biggest influence on moderate groups. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, when we put out content that's outrageous or controversial, it gets the most likes and shares, which sort of encourages us to share or put out that kind of content. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. You can see a version of that here in Clubhouse. (laughs) A study's author says, while moral outrage can be a tremendous force for good driving revolutionary movements in history spanning civil rights to animal cruelty to to campaign finance reform, it can also be a double-edged sword, fueling political polarization and disinformation and even resulting in harassment of targeted minority groups. And social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit have come under fire in recent years as critics claim they've left the dark sides of the extremism fester. That's led to a burgeoning push for regulation while the companies argue they they're merely passive conduits for conversations that would otherwise take place elsewhere. This study suggests the algorithms they employ, which encourage users to post more more popular content, could be playing a more active role. Um, and it's a long... Passive conduits that you can basically charge a lot of money for that they have no influence over. That's what they tell their advertisers. Nothing happens here. 
the, the new study out of Yale suggests the reason that your Facebook and Twitter feeds are now laden with scathing political diatribes and lengthy personal commentaries because we've been subtly trained to post those through a system of rewards powered by likes and shares. Simply put, because content with expressions of moral outrage is more popular, we publish more of it. For the study, the team of researchers built machine learning software capable of identifying moral outrage in Twitter posts, which then trawled nearly 13 million tweets from over 7,000 users. After tracking the users' pages over time, they discovered those who racked up more likes and retweets after showing outrage were more likely to keep doing so in, in future posts. This was subsequently backed up by controlled behavior experiments conducted by the team. Okay. We now have a psychographic measurement for more, uh, for moral self-righteousness. This is awesome. One more little variable for the, uh, you know, openness to new experiences. There's one more for like willingness to basically be absolutely like uh, outraged about stuff. That's awesome. How dare you, Chris? How dare you? It's dopamine hits. So on a, on a related article from the Washington, uh, sorry, the Wall Street Journal, is that digital addictions are drowning us in dopamine. Rising rates of depression and anxiety in wealthy countries like the U.S. may be the result of our brains getting hooked on the neurotransmitter associated with pleasure. And it tells the story of a psychologist or psychiatrist who has um, patients, and more and more she's telling them to get away from all of their devices because your brains are being screwed with. Um, by, what, what does it mean for being hooked on tech news around the world? I mean, yeah, there's no, like there's no screen needed. You don't need to look at the screen. Totally different. Totally. It's totally a clean. Different. It's a clean addiction. If if Tyler really wanted to addict us, <laughs> he would um, occasionally not invite us on stage. Like, hey, I got my hand raised, Tyler, and and not invite us. And then the second time we don't get invited, oh my god, we would do anything for Tyler at that point. <laughs> and then have like random like delays between essentially when people get to be on stage and yeah. Back back in the 90s, they used to call the emergence of the web stuff interactive media. And that kind of started to lay the groundwork for some of this stuff. But in the natural world, we didn't have so many um, responses in the natural world. Where now, we're cyborgs and everything on these on this little freaking screen all day long you know thousands or whatever how many it's it is changing the way our brain works absolutely so there's a chart i'm tweeting out now from mafalda via axios which says the chart uh data may suggest that oh what it basically shows is social media interactions on stories about the ipcc climate report over the past three years so they show the the amount of interactions. We just had the IPCC report a few days Ooh. ago, and the the um here this is a fun uh, version of our tech news Jeopardy. So, looking at previous years and this year's, start with between 2018, 2019, and twenty twenty one. Which year had the most engagement on social media? I saw it already, so. 2020. This year. 2019, I think, because of the 
Anybody else? 2019, since 2020 and 2021 has been all about COVID. I'll say 1990 because I'm trying to basically get a negative score here. Nobody got it. The answer was 2018. Where the hell is Messi? Messi. Messi is absolutely the sleeper Jeopardy champion of tech news around the world. Um, 2018 had by far, in fact, six times more engagement than this year. 2018 had the most. I'd be interested in seeing what mainstream media coverage was like for the three of them. Yeah, and, but and the engagement is going to be the same. The engagement is going down every year. So with each new IPC, IPCC report, there's less and less engagement. They need to put more memes in there. You know, just really like bump it up for you know for cross generation. I've been stuff, saying you know? exactly this. This IPCC, they're 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 actually doing themselves a major disservice because every time they come out with stuff, unless they come out with memes of the planet exploding. People are just, they're just, uh, get the wrong impression from, you know, because any kind of UN agency, uh, you have to understand just how, for whatever reason, they have a, a an unspoken rule that you must bore the absolute fuck out of anybody uh, with anything you release, with anything you all, do. All countries have to agree what's said, so it's yeah. watered down, although this year was far more direct than it was in the past. They need, <laughs> like, seriously, Tyler, if they had one of your pitch boot camps, we'd probably solve this problem pretty quick, because, yeah. you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of tell the story right. Right, because when these things... measure engagement. Yeah. I mean, likes are not engagement. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, well, we don't... That, yeah, that's obvious, we, and we don't know what they... How they measured, uh, they say interactions, but we don't know exactly what they mean by that. So we'd have to look up what they what the terms mean. But um, notice Dan brings up a good point with regards to the agreement in the report. But mm-hmm. marketing the report is the issue. Yeah, they need to hire somebody who knows how to market, and they're yeah. they're refusing to. They save a little. It budget. kind of raises it raises the question of who is responsible for alerting the world like we're, we're blaming we're putting it on their shoulders of scientists who whose job really is just to tell us what's going on and it's really up to elected leaders for example to protect their citizens to really uh, you know tell everyone what's happening and they are not doing that it's actually even in the paris accord that countries will spend money on communications to to tell their citizens about the issue of climate change and they haven't done that we so, should have a cheap know, like meme budget for every country where you see like meme ooh. spending over time uh, for climate messaging, and you can like use that as part of the marketing budget and say like essentially which countries are contributing to the pot. You might be able to contribute for like actual mission reductions, but at least you can have some fire memes about it. That would actually be you see like per nation on essentially their their emissions uh, meme reductions. Chief yeah, no, officer. It, any 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 astute management team who was responsible there would understand that they're trying to communicate some information. And so, you know, they're not kind of buried as a, as a, a research kind of, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely something that they, they, they need to freshen up that management team. But, it, but, but science has spoken. There's that piece, but that's different from the IPCC having, a, uh, uh, having the right skill set. Right. Anyone who's interested, by the way, in contributing to uh, communication efforts, uh, David Fenton, who I interviewed on Clubhouse a couple times, actually, is uh, sort of a leader in knowing what to do in this regard. 
and is working on projects that could use funding to help get the word out. So get in touch with me if you'd like me it's, to hook you up with David. So Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like the only half-baked um, efforts that I'm aware of were Al Gore's um, Inconvenient Truth, one and two, and Greta's kind of uh, Fridays for Future marches have been really the only two eating halfway meaningful efforts to drive any kind of awareness. Well, no, there's been more, but but you're you're making a good point is that it's hard to there's been many, but they haven't been large and, and coordinated and things. There's 350.org. I mean, there, there's a lot of Extinction Rebellion happening now. Uh, there's a lot of things happening, but they're not they're not punching through and they're not hitting all the right groups, you know, and they're not coordinated. Uh, so, yeah, so, so there's been lots, but uh, not really impactful. And uh, you know, that's a big, big problem. You know, you can in some sense say yeah. maybe that's the biggest problem we're dealing with is that people don't truly understand the scope and the urgency of the problem. And if they did, maybe they would demand that their elected leaders do something, which they're basically not. So, so Dan, share, <laughs> you had a couple headlines in the past few minutes here. One about the yeah. car- one, carbon one, capture. Maybe, maybe this will get people to react. Yeah. You know, if you hit them in the sushi, maybe they'll finally, right. uh, you know, rise up. And not uh, the sushi. An about, yeah. yeah. There's an article about how climate change is impacting sushi because with the droughts and hot temperatures in California, uh, it's, it's hurting the salmon uh, population quite a bit uh, because the, the, the water's too hot for the, for the young salmon and uh, the flows are too low. So um, that's impacting uh, sushi. And uh, so therefore, everyone should now finally get the pitchforks and rise up and uh, do something. And by the way, sushi is, you know, it's not just climate change, but overfishing, too, is going to affect sushi over the next uh, sushi rebellion. decades. The sushi then, rebellion. There we then, go. Then good news is uh, in Japan, we don't really like to eat raw. Salmon isn't salmon. sushi, by the way. <laughs> it's not our favorite. It's only yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, well, It's more of an American thing. On the way out, too, by the way, but that's for, uh, for overfishing, right? Um, so that's one article. The other one is something I actually I think I mentioned uh, yesterday here uh, on Tech News is that, uh, but it's like an official article from Bloomberg, is that the uh, this is actually in the IPCC report and doesn't get the attention that the other parts do, but the scientists saying uh, basically are calling for carbon capture, or, or what's also called carbon dioxide removal, really needs to be ramped up. Well, it's not really happening yet. It's just more of a technology being developed. Because um, the only, CO2 lasts in the atmosphere for hundreds of thousands of years. So when we finally get really upset with climate change, it's kind of too late because you know, whatever temperature you're at then is going to last literally for thousands of years. So um, the only way to get around that is to take carbon out of the atmosphere, which is a, a tricky thing to do because it's, it's only 0.04% of the atmosphere. So you've got to have some pretty selective filters to do that. But it's, it, is, it is doable. And it's expensive, uh, but it's a, it's a lot cheaper than not doing it because, as we're about to find out, the cost of climate change is enormous. So anyway, the, the scientists are finally, um, you know, I don't know if the IPCC can call for it, but they did say uh, they had a few paragraphs in there about uh, that would be really good if we had a way of removing carbon from the atmosphere. So I do think that's going to get more attention. That's an area I work in. Uh, and uh, for a long time, because I realized long ago that the, we certainly aren't addressing climate change with the speed and urgency that we need to. 
And this is sort of the one way, again, very expensive, way easier not to put the CO2 up there in the first place, you know, full stop. But if you really ignore the problem for so long and you want to spend extra money to, uh, uh, you know, fix it later, uh, that, that's one thing you can do. And they're calling for it because they're looking at these numbers and saying, oh, shit, this is, you know, we're, we're really not addressing this problem like we need to. Anyway, so folks that want like article first, that I tweeted out. For folks that want like a first order of magnitude estimate of the engineering challenge, uh, so if you're taking uh, you know thirty or forty billion tons of uh, CO two out of the atmosphere, at the ratio that is a percentage of like you know the air that you breathe, where it's like you know you've got nitrogen, oxygen, all the other fun stuff, the percentage that's actually CO two means that you basically have to process one trillion tons of air per per year. Those are some hellishly big fans. Uh, that's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot of stuff to move around. Um, we, the only thing we have, like, that's even close to that, that we move around, like, of humanity is, like, water. Um, I think grand total we move about, like, 60 to 100 billion tons of, like, uh, of, like, aggregate or dirt around every year, but, like, that's a lot of stuff to move around. One trillion tons. Yeah, but the, the good news is air moves around by itself, so that makes the job a lot easier. And if you look at it from just, uh, yeah, forty. So forty gigatons is about how much we put up in the air. So now imagine we actually do cut our emissions and get close to zero. If you remove forty gigatons, now you're going to move backwards and lower CO two as fast as we're currently raising it. That, by my estimate and others, would cost about two trillion dollars a year, um, which would be a bargain. That would mean you're removing it for fifty dollars a ton. Today it costs somewhere between two and six hundred dollars a ton. But that's a very low volume prototype kind of systems, you know, and scaling up systems uh, make make them cheaper. So when you're talking about literally gigatons, uh, you could get the price down that low. And uh, we really should get cracking on it because it's going to take a while to scale something like that up. And the longer we wait, the longer, you know, we'll be. And even once you're doing 40 gigatons a year, which is an enormous amount. Remember, it took us a long time to build up the CO2 in the atmosphere, right? Many decades. So it's going to take, even once you're at that level, it's still going to take you many decades to slowly bring it down. So the longer we wait, the, you know, the harder that all becomes. So, Other than the Gore movies, there's also another movie that came out, I think, probably one or two years ago called uh, Seas Piracy. Uh, and it does address uh, some of the issues, although I believe that there is some... Um, other under table things going on in, in, in that documentary, but uh, it's worth a watch for anybody who's interested. Okay. Yeah, but be, good... be careful that Seaspiracy and Cowspiracy are sort of, um, they're not like independent documentaries where people are just trying to look at it from a scientific point of view. They do have agendas. Of and course. Therefore, they... uh, they've, gotten, they've gotten criticized by the science community for having a lot of uh, inaccurate information. That but they. They're pointing to the biodiversity apocalypse that's going on, which from, you know, there's there's building awareness and then people can kind of like get more information. So it's valuable from that perspective. But Dan, also, isn't there, there well, it, hopefully, I guess what you're saying is that there are, there is a, a solution, or at least one of the solutions for the sequestration is uh, is some of the things that you you are speaking to. And if we were to deploy a lot of it, it'll cost less, right? I mean, if we do the massive deployment. No, I'm assuming we deploy a lot of it. <laughs> That's after you deploy a lot of it. it again, it's currently about two to six hundred dollars a ton. So even at 
$200 a ton, that would be $8 trillion a year. So I'm saying if you deploy it at scale, and, and by the way, it's about, you know, it's, it's on the order of the automobile manufacturing industry to build enough of these machines. You know, it's, it's, it's less than that, actually. So it's not too bad, assuming you do it over like 10 years to you know, build it up. Um, so that is that, that assumes already the high volume is built in. We're probably not going to be able to do it for much less than $50 a ton. It is a, it is a very difficult problem. It costs $50 a ton to remove CO2 today at 10 to 20% concentrations, you know, from a cement plant, let's say, and that we're talking about 0.04%, right? So it's, it's a very tricky problem, but there's really cool materials that are very sensitive to holding on to CO2 molecules and letting the other molecules go by. And, and then you use earth energy in different ways to help power the thing because it takes a lot of energy to run this stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of challenges, but it, it, it can be done and we really better get cracking on it. There's been very little government research funding. I'm, I, I think that's going to be changing right now partly with this, this call that the science, climate scientists are making. But up till now, it's been very little funding, really tiny. Hey, Dan, stuff. Um, yeah. you talk always about the sequestration, but I'm, I'm just a little more curious about the part where we don't only talk about carbon and we start thinking about it from a little different perspective because it, it, this toxic economy that kind of we play into is like, well, the more we can sequestrate, sequestrate it or tie it into something else, uh, with innovation while not going to the root cause of the whole issue because it can come this weird loop where the more we produce, the more we can create markets for carbon and it becomes this like self-playing piano, if you will, um, as you see in some countries. So that's I'm a little worried about that perspective that I don't think is discussed too much uh, or enough going to the roots of why we're in the hole we're in. Um, I mean, overconsumption, you mean? Or well, you if you have carbon, well, if you have this carbon economy and you start creating these huge fans, what's to say that, well, okay, we can just continue basically doing what we're doing? I mean, if we play into that hole um, where we're, like, even all the, all the SDGs, basically, every single one of them are just um, indicators of symptoms. None of them have nothing to do with the root causes. So... Um, you could basically say that, hey, we're, I mean, every single company could say, hey, we're sustainable. Yes, and we're sustainable. And, but they're still also creating the problems, continuing creating the problems that we're living. So in, in essence, no one's really trying to access the root causes of where we're living in. Um, so when it comes to sustainability, there should be a better measures of what we mean with uh, sustainable sustainability or redefine growth or redefine value in essence because the carbon yeah, talk yeah, yeah, yeah. makes it makes yeah. it just very poor and just a very symptomatic argument in the end well you're right and actually we had some rooms on that actually <laughs> climate jack club uh, exactly what you're talking about but uh so carbon when you're talking about carbon you're talking about climate change and climate change is one of uh, many planetary problems we're dealing with right now Overconsumption is another big one and species loss. And uh, so it's not, and species loss is related to climate change, but it's not only climate change. It's also the fact that we're disrupting habitats and we're you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So yes, they're all really big problems. Uh, and, but 
climate change is, is one of the big ones because we don't address that. I guess you won't have to worry about the other ones. So, uh, so I'm focused on that one, even though the other ones are big and real and, and, we, and they are related to population size that even if you're quote sustainable and don't do much, if you have 8 billion people, they're using a lot of the earth's resources. We're currently using about one and a half earth resources. I'm sorry, one and a half uh, earth's worth of renewable resources, like, you know, cutting down too many trees, for example. Uh, it's it's a you know if you if you were growing trees you could cut them down every year but not if you cut down more than can grow you're obviously uh, eating into your principal rather than just spending the interest and so yeah these are really big problems uh, hey Dan huge hey Dan on that on that point um, I think it's really interesting to think about why it's so difficult to communicate the urgency of the situation to the average person let alone the average uh, politician. And uh, there's an analogy between what's going on with COVID denial and climate denial or, or neglect. And in the COVID space, it's really hard. And Peter Diamandis of, uh, of Singularity talks about how it's hard for the human brain to wrap its head around exponentials, to just, just, just raw exponential thinking. So here we had... As, as an example, India show the exponential growth of Delta. Then the UK show the exponential growth of Delta. And right as we're beginning to detect Delta in this country, CDC says no more need for masks. Right at the inception of this exponential growth curve, which reflects a severe negligence of the understanding of exponentials. Similarly, on the climate side, what people have a hard time wrapping their heads around is the positive loop cycles, the vicious cycles of the more the permafrost melts, the more methane it releases, the hotter it gets, the more that uh, the ice caps melt, the less reflection of sunlight there is, the more that the, the marine layer disappears, the less reflection of light there is. So that we had, there, there's a great documentary called Breaking Boundaries, which very clearly in very accessible terms calls out nine distinct positive feedback loops and the interaction between them. So every one of these that, that, that causes systematic rise in the problem with a positive feedback loop all feed each other. That's not a mathematical construct that the average person uh, that doesn't have a bent towards math can actually wrap their head around. So I, I'm curious what your thoughts are around breaking boundaries, because to me, it is the clearest, most accessible way for the average person to understand both positive feedback loops and the interplay of the multiple positive feedback loops and why um, that compels people who can wrap their head around it to understand the urgency of interrupting all of these positive feedback loops. Curious on your thoughts about that documentary, Breaking Boundaries. Well, I haven't seen that particular one, but but I agree with you that uh, people don't understand exponentials, and uh, that's very dangerous. Uh, there's a really some really good videos on YouTube, and I have to find this professor's name who's kind of famous for doing this. He he also says it's one of humanity's biggest shortcomings is that it doesn't understand uh, exponentials. So I just tweeted out uh, speaking of that because I. I've, I've been drafting a list of the reasons we're not acting on climate because, you know, I had a list of what we need to do about climate. And then I realized, well, we've known this list for a long time and we haven't done it. So I started thinking about why uh, uh, we, we don't do it. And it's a very big list. But one of the items on the list is human cognition section 
is the, the, the failure to understand exponential growth. And, well, and, uh, it, and it's in addition to exponential growth, and that's why I was trying to make an analogy, but not a, uh, a, a replication of the issue, because in climate change, it's, it's about positive, vicious loops, positive feedback cycles that interact with each other, which is a little bit, I mean, it, it does have an exponential effect, but you have to understand the risk of a positive feedback loop and the fact that there are nine of them and the fact that they all feed each other. I'd really encourage you to look at Breaking Boundaries. John? I, I think it clearly articulates that in a way that's accessible to most. Yes. Yeah, so John, I, I really appreciate that you took this concept up, and I think it's very, very valuable for technology in general to think about um, system thinking when you talk about feedback loops, how things are interrelated, and you're trying to find mechanisms that actually have a cause and effect on a certain problem and digging deeper on the root causes, because then you can actually create some real radical or disruptive or whatever word you, buzzword you love um, innovations. Uh, when you start looking at those because yes i totally agree it's vicious and there are these feedback loops that need to be addressed uh and not taking things on kind of face value because you can throw numbers at basically any problem definition but if you don't really do the digging uh you're kind of you might just cause a little more problems than actually solve things hi this is Heyman here i'm just wondering what are the big words you're saying i'm just speaking for humans who can't get the environmental handle on this thing <laughs> i love it Exponential growth, you mean? What? What is it? No, I, I, I'm just saying, like, I'm wondering whether why we're not succeeding is the fact that we're not actually reaching out and getting people to uh, understand you, it. By the way, I'll give you an example. Big things yeah. get big fast. That, that's very direct and affects all of us. So we all believe in, well, not not everyone, but uh, humans in general believe in, in having a capitalist society that grows every year, right? We want to have, let's say, 3.5% growth every year. Not everyone. So, that's yes. Western not everyone, culture. Everyone, that's, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's, the, that's the big problem. So what you just so stated. Let's, let's, let's just say we came up with that idea 3,000 years ago. Somewhere in China, you know, they decided, hey, we want to have this thing where we grow our economy by 3.5% every year. And let's say back then in 3,000 years ago, the entire output of the world was one cubic meter of stuff. That's, that's the entire output of the world. But it grew by three and a half percent every year. And so now it's today. And you ask the question, uh, how much stuff would we, would we be making today and would it cover the earth or not? And the answer is yes, it would cover the earth out to the orbit of Neptune. Okay. How far is Neptune? <laughs> Neptune is pretty far. And I'm not talking about oh, like okay. a disc. I'm talking about a sphere the size of out to Neptune. So way bigger than the solar system by like unimaginable size. And that's all with just three and a half percent growth over 3000 years. Um, you can do the same thing with population There's, in this video that I, I got to find the guy's name who does talks about exponentials. He says we will not continue to um, grow our population because after 500 years there, you would have one person per square meter on, on the earth, on the surface of the earth. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> You're not, you know, figure well, we're probably not going to get to that point where there's just one person per square meter. It but hey, Dan, work, what, if right? you, what if you redefine what you mean by stuff? Stuff doesn't have to be. Um, oh, digital you, stuff? Well, it doesn't have to be necessarily the stuff that creates the growth that actually harms us. So that's what I'm talking about, redefining the value that we're um, trying to create, right? Right. There's this idea of embodied energy where everything physical product made basically has like pollutions or CO2s built into it. 
um, when you when you muck with a lot of these base variables about like what happens if you have like a polymer, uh, what happens if you have like a plastic product that's made to be last a few hundred years, not be a renewable thing that degrades in the ocean? What happens if it's made with renewable go. energy that makes it? And what happens if it's basically made uh, in a form that actually ends up offsetting a large number of other things? There, there's a lot of weird like exception cases that kind of you know, get kind of interesting. Um, in the post-scarcity rooms, we, we talk a lot about some of the more bizarre scenarios where, you know, it's like, oh, we got, you know, we're going to be approaching about 10 billion people here on planet Earth. But what are scenarios where we could approach 10 trillion? What would that look like? What technologies would be empowered? If you're saying like, hey, we can have enough stuff to go to Venus. It's like, well, what happens if you want to basically disassemble Mercury? You know, these might seem a little more like, you know, far-fetched out there type kinds of things. But a lot of these base, uh, are based on around the ideas of exponential feedback loops, except uh, instead of applied to things that can hurt us, uh, there are versions of this that can actually be extremely beneficial. But a lot of this goes means going back to those basics of going, you know, where does the energy come from? Where does the mass come from? And how is it being used? And right now, because we lack that accountability in the overall system, uh, it results in, well, the worst version being chosen normally. So we have a lot of options available. It's just a matter of which paths we end up choosing. But also, no, I mean, but, it, but it exponentials is... say you can't do it. I mean, you you can't. I don't care what kind of stuff is it. If you're talking about making more stuff than billions of times the mass of the Earth, remember that. That's what you're doing, right? I mean, it's you not, could, but not, I, I'm just talking about just the crust. It's the culture, as like as like. Pardon me if I didn't say your name properly, but but and and Dan, you said it. You said it perfectly. You stated it perfectly, and and it is. But it is the root of the issue. It's. It's this Western consumption growth has to be up to the right that has emerged and has been the dominant driving global culture. Now, we've been exporting this, right? Everybody wants a car. Everybody wants all these things. The conspicuous consumption of, is it was a great way to describe it. And the culture, the systemic expression of that culture is the culprit full stop where climate, biodiversity collapse, all these massive systemic um degradations are 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 kind of the that th those are those are those are the, the the symptoms of the problem indigenous people did not have that problem and and it, we can't say we're going to all go back completely to that necessarily but we do the the culprit is 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 pretty clearly the very well expressed by carbon and how that very, very clearly is tied to how we live our lives and work. But also, you know, the way that the farming's done, the, the, there's, a, there's a number of different, different ways to, to, to examine it. But Aslex's issue with regards to systemic change and do they get enough that as a community, there's a whole, there's a global community that have been rattling the cowbells, maybe not the best analogy, um, on systemic, the need for systemic change. So. Um, we just need better marketing for those to, to for, from, from everybody to kind of use 2021, this IPCC report, to start our path to really learn how to live happily with a lot less. And if you're talking to somebody that still wants to fly all around the world and, and pump all this carbon, it's like, well, just have a conversation with them and just try to cultivate that kind of, quite frankly, evolution. Thank you. Thank you. So I just tweeted out I... this um, Dr. Albert Bartlett, who's kind of famous uh, for t giving talks on exponential growth. It's about an hour. It'll change the way you view the world if you watch it. It's not really it's not about climate change in particular. It's just about how 
humans don't understand exponential growth and he makes it super simple to understand. And then you'll just look at things quite differently after you but watch that But that's the video. point, right? That's the point. Everyone has to change their language, the vocabulary. Everyone has to be better communicators. And that's what I discovered also during this COVID crisis is that a lot of physicians did not change their habits. And that's why we actually ended up with a lot of confused people out there. And it's not, you can't blame people for their actions or their choices. It's also the information that they were given and the, uh, the way it was conveyed. Uh, and sorry, Fiona, you were trying to chime in there. Thank you all. Um, just taking a, a breath of oxygen from the Amazon and thinking about the, the fluid and the movement of the rivers of the Amazon and right now with the fires and also the large outbreak in many communities in the Amazon, we talk about the 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 conservation of climate and we we forget to think about perhaps including those that are the tenured landowners of the 8% of the you know tropical rainforest and its value towards not just ourselves but all our next generations going forwards and i i bring that into a specific context because the inability for some of the ipcc report to be inclusive to actually look at driving solutions for um cultivating and regenerative models that already have existed for thousands of years and bringing that to the forefront for us as knowledge. And what defines a scientist? Is it the indigenous woman who knows the value of all the cultivated plants that they have curated over hundreds of years, respecting them for their value as medicine? Or is it a scientist sitting at Harvard? It's just a question I place because what is the, the, the balance act that we can hold and learn from. And so that is what I was just hoping to bring to the light was this um, ability for us to take a moment, to take our breath and to think about how we individually are responsible and then collectively as educators, as doctors, as, as climate scientists, to be inclusive in being able to see other visions and see how we can collaboratively finance this. We do need help. Their carbon is one thing, but you know, restoration and regeneration of already the loss of our great, great uh, resources is, is what we need to take action for. So thank you. This is Fiona. Hey, Fiona, this is John. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on, on a, a directly related issue. So I was in a room that was talking about how indigenous governance is ultimately much more sensitive um, to being part of the planet rather than destroying the planet. And one of the questions I raised there, which didn't go over well at all, um, was how do we scale? What examples do we have of systematically scaling the kind of ethos that, that every indigenous culture represents in with respect to their relationship to the environment. So is there a, uh, a good video that's accessible? Is there a good book that's accessible that could help us understand how to uh, reintroduce the ethos of Aboriginal societies at scale? Because I think we all admire and respect the indigenous ethos that respects 
nature and and we all want that to scale but are there good models about how to scale that vis-a-vis the prisoner's dilemma and and you know the corruption that occurs at the top of nearly every form of governance is there anything that can connect the dots between scaling indigenous ethos and governance vis-a-vis the prisoner's dilemma um yeah please tell me what it is this is a nobel laureate So this is from a Nobel laureate, Eleanor Ostrom, a Swedish uh, Nobel Prize winner. So look up Eleanor Ostrom and follow her research after she died, unfortunately, what has been put out. So she talks about governance principles for uh, for common good. Uh, It's really good stuff. Um, So I recommend anything around that. And also, of course, any, I guess, popular science literature referencing to that those uh, researchers. Uh, it's very valuable stuff over there. By the way, she's American, but she's Swedish yes. background. You're right. Sorry, sorry. Like, I can't give sorry, you everything to, to Sweden. To... You're right, you're right, Eamon. Totally I can't right. give everything to Sweden. No, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> sorry, and, um, I, uh, I'm a part of the um, uh, advisory board for a group that is discovering and working with researchers and scientists and indigenous communities. And it's called the amazoninvestor.org, amazoninvestor.org. You will find a lot of material. There is um, information on governance, law, indigenous rights, as well as um, investing into a collaborative, uh, cooperative format type projects and really looking at empowering how we can learn together with indigenous communities and what are the essence that projects that we can um, collaboratively cultivate. Um, And, and like I said, that happens to be just for the Amazon, but the resources are there. It brings up a lot of the research from a lot of the NGOs that are working on forests and cultivation and indigenous community rights and um, supporting the next steps. I think that's the thing is it's, we, Everybody takes one step at a time and you chew the herb that teaches you about your essential wisdom that you have time to work with on this planet. Thank is, you. is there a chance? Yeah, no, I is there a chance to that... possibly work with you on something um, because I've been working on autocatalytic networks, or, which are, you know, in their essence, they are networks in which the products of one reaction are the inputs to another reaction. And we've been applying these to cognition. And um, so basically, worldviews, understandings of the world and understandings of our mind, which are coherent in this way. And we've been using the word feedback here, but it's more complex than feedback. And mathematically, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a higher level of um, integrated collective behavior of a system. And so I've been working on the, on um, sort of formal theoretical models of this, but I think it has obvious applications to the evolution of the kind of worldview, the kind of understanding of our world, so that we our sustainable worldviews can lead to a sustainable interaction with the world and a world that is sustainable. Um, so this is a very sort of formal theoretical approach, but I think it has direct applications and I'd love to pursue it. You know, uh, could it, it would be awesome if, if you know, Dan and Fiona and uh, Leanne and, and others would do a room on this very topic and bring in some of the biggest um, influencers on Clubhouse to get a large audience. I think that... Um, you know, getting at these conceptual frameworks of 
possibility, plausibility, and hope with respect to the relationship of uh, accessible understanding, uh, governance models, um, and and actionable um, ideas um, could be profoundly helpful. I mean, it it, kind of sits uh, squarely in the center of the virtue of Clubhouse to be able to bring these kind of disparate uh, disciplines and people to approach the same problem in a way that could, you know, have a very big impact with a couple of thousand people. If we get some big influencers um, to to help you build the audience, um, that could be very powerful. Hey, this is Corey. Um, I just wanted to address uh, about the human side of change and really the incentives of our culture. And we and we can come up with great solutions and even show them mathematically or statistically what the right thing is to do. But one of the things we're seeing here, kind of going back to the human population issue, is when you combine our incentives as a culture to collect materials, to be materialistic, right, like at least in the U.S., and, and more things is better because you can keep up the Joneses, that sort of mental cultural concept. And then you'll combine that with like the idea of us trying to live longer, and then combine that with automation, which allows us to collect more things. You get into the situation where we, we actually start producing a lot more than our planet can hold necessarily. So my whole point is, is, is even, even going to maybe even think about like a minimalist approach and convincing people that minimalism or not collecting things is the best way to go. That requires human change. So in this whole equation, once we come up with you know, these frameworks and models and policies, ultimately you got to get people's behaviors to change. And right now, we're very much on the collecting of things in general across a lot of the human race. I think that um, little logo, reuse, what is it? Reuse, recycle, re, um, uh, do you know what I mean? The, the little three. Repurpose? I, well, in Canada, on, the, on all reduce, the garbage bins. Reduce, yes, oh, yeah. reduce, reduce, thank reduce you. Yeah. recycle. Like that captures the essence of it. And if you can get, you know, good artists to take the essence of these complex ideas and create little symbols like that, that even a child can understand, I think it'd go a long way. And remember, a child was the one who actually got all this movement even rebooted, right? Greta. So, I mean, just have to realize that we need to involve everyone. In I think discussion. you got to get little, little Nas and little Bow Bow and... You know the grime, yeah. the grime gangster rappers of Atlanta, onto it, and then you'll be on your way. But until little bow wows, <laughs> they're already until the it. Kardashians <laughs> and Kanye and the little bow wows and Gucci Man are on it, you know, good luck. Box water. I guess I'm not a Box good person water. for this because I don't even know some of those people. The, and, and, and Dan, and, and Dan, Tyler, that's the problem. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Tyler. I, I agree. Kardashians are selling uh, pharmaceuticals now. Yep. If you watch on the new, if you watch TV, they're selling pharmaceuticals. Okay. No, I know, no who they, I know who they are, but I don't watch the. I don't watch yep. any of those. Um, but by speaking of rooms, by the way, I mentioned carbon capture before, and I'm really excited that on uh, August um, 23rd at 11 a.m. Pacific, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Klaus Lackner, who is known as the Godfather of carbon capture. He's been working on this longer than anybody, really long time ago working on ways to capture CO2 out of the air, wrote a really kind of a, a big uh, Scientific American article about this long ago and sort of got everyone sort of thinking and talking about it. And uh, he's at the, was at Columbia, but now he's at uh, Arizona State University, still working on it. And we're going to talk about the feasibility, the cost, uh, the impacts of doing it. So it should be, I'm really looking forward to that. When, when, when could you announce again when? when August 23rd at 11 a.m. Pacific time on the Climate Chat Club. And um, I learned you know, what I know about 
um, carbon capture. And I invested in the area basically by learning from him over a decade ago. And uh, yeah, he's a super smart guy, by the way. So I think people would, if you're interested in the subject of carbon capture, you'll definitely want to listen to that. So. Well, one related headline from the New York Times is that a Sicilian town sends an omen, an omen of a much hotter future. Floridia may have hit 124 degrees Fahrenheit this week, possibly the highest temperature ever recorded in Europe, of offering Italy and the entire Mediterranean a glimpse of more to come, is the headline from the New York Times. Floridia? Floridia. Sorry. What's with all these Floridia? It's in Sicily. So uh, a, a small, long-shot U.S. company end up, uh, oh, will a small, long-shot U.S. company end up producing the best coronavirus vaccine? Novavax vaccine shows markedly stronger responses in early human trials. John, any any thought on Novavax? It's one of uh, several very promising contenders for that throne. Um, so, yeah, keep your eye on it. It It is it is promising data. It's a promising approach. Google's Nest. But, but Tyler, you remind me of Betteridge's Law of Headlines. I don't know if you know that, but the Law of Headlines says any headline that ends in a question mark can be answered with the word no. Okay. Google's Nest. By the way, for people Look who it up don't on Wikipedia. think in Fahrenheit. Or it's a bad Googled. editor. For people who don't think in Fahrenheit, I just Googled what uh, 124 is. 151.1 <laughs> Celsius. Whoa. 51. 51. Yeah. Wait, just wait, 51, on. not 151. 51. 51. Okay. Right, right, right. Not 151. <laughs> we'll be boiled. So, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Yes, 51. <laughs> yeah. Google's Nest hubs will warn users about nearby pollution and smoke. And hopefully it could uh, somehow impart the urgency of uh, climate change as well somehow and building a standard that really matters apple google and amazon delay launch of the matter smart home standard until 2022 which is their grand unification uh scheme where all or head fake where all uh smart home smart office smart city devices will all work interoperably on a platform uh, called i believe it when i see it matters is what they're calling it so that you're fil- Tyler, yes. Tyler. Are, you, are, you, are you in Thailand actually now yes yeah yeah so you have a great uh, guy nearby you probably don't know because your bubble is so different from his bubble but this guy is actually if it's not around the world lecturing about uh, p2p foundation and the commons uh, then he's actually there and you should find him. I don't know uh, in which city he's, he's living. He has done a great job. I think it, he was uh, at Shell and then decided decades ago to go away from fossils and created one of the biggest movements for alternative economy, the P2P Foundation. And if anyone is really interested and not just talking about this stuff, Please later go to the site, a commons transition, a one word, commons transition.org. Yeah. And as Aslak said, exactly, um, uh, Eleanor Ostrom is uh, the Nobel uh, laureate who laid ground to uh, kind of optimism, uh, optimism not to uh, have 
economies founded in greed, yeah, like Adam Smith, and we know all the story, uh, to have a great economy because of the egoism of everyone. That's the basic story of capitalism. But this will not work, and I'm in this for now more than 10 years. I was so frustrated in 2010 uh, after the climate conference, and I saw, okay, the system is broken. They don't react any more uh, reasonable. And later I resignate, I, 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 I was so frustrated, I just put it aside. And when I, maybe it was Dan uh, telling the story or in another room, another guy about this carbon, um, um, what's it in English, to, to put carbon down to into the earth pr um, with a lot of pressure and energy. And so, of course, we need all these green technologies. I totally believe innovation because innovation can have exponential progress in so sometimes, sometimes. Mm. But we also need a, a, a change of mentality. This will happen anyway, like it's a, a, a world war and we have lost the war because we have... A, burned the fossils of hundreds of millions of years in the last hundred years. And it's now all in the atmosphere. And by calculation, you cannot do it away uh, probably in 10 years. So I really am desperate about this uh, and I don't see a miracle. But there's a silver, silver lining that human beings have this plasticity. Like after a war, they can live with a, a loaf of bread a day and and be happy anyway yeah so of course we will not go to the to the uh, to the aborigines and then allow teachers how to, how to live <laughs> uh, just be, uh, you can, uh, culture doesn't work this way cultural evolution but this will transform because uh, we are just on the limits soon and then it will collapse in two three or five years i don't know but uh, despite, even if we have cold fusion or any wonderful technology to solve a lot of problems, how can you motivate people to build these containers for carbon, um, uh, see, uh, see, uh, what's the acronym, you know? <laughs> Dan, help me, please. Capture. <laughs> capture. Carbon, carbon capture. Just carbon or, yeah. capture. Yeah, carbon, carbon capture. capture. Uh, why, when you, you, you are, uh, do your savings and buy an automobile, you have a lot of value on an individual level, while it's so hard to motivate people to build containers, buy containers, and then you tell them, sorry, you will not have the effect of it. Only maybe your um, grandchilds will feel the difference. How can you mot motivate people with a mindset that we have today? That's a real big problem. Yeah, Willie, I think you're talking about Michael Bowens. He's a Belgian. Guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he lives in Chiang Mai, exactly. which is about two hours by airplane for me. So, um, but yeah, and and when you have telecommunication, though, I, it's yeah. not really that you have to go yeah, there. Yeah. But I, I always said, hey, why uh, I should ask Tyler? What maybe he know this yeah. guy because really a different bubble, and he has created such a big network over the years. Now he's over sixty and a bit tired, maybe after all. Uh, but he's the, the, the thought leader of a huge movement. And it's not just a Facebook group or something. It's really thousands of people and many projects. And so uh, there's a really a line of hope because you can have another economy and be happy 
on an individual level uh, too. That's a, the hope uh, sign okay. here for me. Thank you, Willie. So Evan has an article from Axios about robots are the new farm hands. Farmers can use their smartphone to operate machinery in the fields with autonomous tractors. And Katarina, listening. Yeah, in- I mean, you, you can't you can't find farm workers now. I mean, literally, crops will die in the fields unless we find a way to get them to the table. Yeah. And so farmers are going all in on automation and AI. Yeah. Uh, but it's not working around the globe. This is the biggest challenge is the cost and the measurement and the technology and who fixes the drone after we've tested and done our land entitling and who checks the soil samplings and which labs are accepted and not accepted. So it's a very privileged perspective to think that farm ag right now can help perhaps uh, let's here I'll use another to- tone it could help support uh, monitoring of toxic chemicals that are killing a lot of Americans who are creating a lot of this technology let me that's a very strong word but I'm thinking a positive way that technology can be utilized um, for production of agriculture but how do we take that and monetize it and work with it so that every person on the planet or farmers in Africa and those that are now being asked if they get a loan they need to be monitored if they get um, an investment group that comes in they're asking me what are the metrics how do they measure all of this hmm. who can afford to measure it good question it's, it's big not... agriculture that's spending exactly. the big bucks on, on technology so yeah, so, um, yeah we just need we just new, to look at that we need new technologies of little robots we can plant in the ground that self-replicate on solar power that, that are edible uh, called plants and thank then, you that's then we would, <laughs> if yes, we could only you. make those exactly. you know i know and that's- that's made of lettuce. Yeah. Yeah. Made of lettuce. Yeah. And, and some kind of organic rice. material. It's highly nutritious, yeah. even. It would be fantastic, wouldn't it? So toddler. And it, can, yeah. and it, it absorbs carbon, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it's the just, amazing thing, right? I'm waiting for Apple. I, I, I'm hopeful that the next Apple keynote will feature something called apples. Um, the apples. The apple. <laughs> the apple, apple. Toddler fatally shoots his mother so, during a yeah. work-related Zoom call. As if you weren't annoying enough, uh, your your the people living in, at your home. Um, let this be a lesson. A mother was killed when her child accidentally, perhaps accidentally, discharged an unsecured firearm while the woman was participating in a Zoom call. And are we really sure it was an accident? Ten years ago, this was science fiction: the rise of weed-killing robots is the headline from Joe Williams. So that goes really well with Evan's uh, robotic farming tractors. This one is the uh, a weed-killing robot. The makers of robot weeders say the machines can reduce pesticide use and be part of a more sustainable food system. Yeah, Evan's got one from China. Uh, says China is tempting customers with its flawless AI idols, virtual influencers who don't gain weight, never age, and keep their computer-generated noses out of controversies. Quite a genius idea. We've talked about this at length um, many times, about the inevitable rise of virtual influencers and how they will continue to become more powerful. Huawei stole our tech and created a backdoor to spy on Pakistan, claims IT uh, business uh, from the register. And that was the headline I just read. It says Huawei stole our tech and created a backdoor to spy on Pakistan. And uh, allegations of 
purloined trade secrets, unfair competition, national security threats, and more packed into a lawsuit, a California-based IT consultancy has sued Huawei and its subsidiary in Pakistan, alleging the Chinese manufacturer Huawei stole its trade secrets and failed to honor a contract to develop technology for Pakistan authorities. The complaint filed on Wednesday in the U.S. District Court in Santa Ana, California, describes how BES Business Efficiency Solutions began working with Huawei Technologies in 2016 to overhaul the IT system available to the Punjab Police Integrated Command Control and Communication Center, the PPIC-3 of Lahore, capital of Punjab province of Pakistan. In fact, it's the capital of all of Pakistan, is it not, Lahore? So the legal filing claims, among other things, that Huawei has used BES's data exchange system to, quote-unquote, create a backdoor and obtain data important to Pakistan national security and spy on Pakistani citizens. Oh, snap. So this, you know, partner who's being screwed by Huawei is saying Huawei is using their own technology that they stole from them to create a backdoor to sell to Pakistan with the backdoor so they can spy on Pakistan. Oh, fuck. Holy shit, Huawei. That's like a triple, a triple hat trick of fuckery right there. You stealing someone. They, uh, they, they've done this in the Netherlands. There's they're just a whole long list. That's amazing. So. Stealing tech to sell backdoored tech to spy on your other clients. <laughs> Holy shit. Wow. Well, does any does any of this surprise you, Tyler? It's just, you know, I, I, just lo- I just love the efficiency of the fuckery in that. I mean, that's like, yeah, that's like I mean, but, fuckery but, cube but remember- all in one little, you know, scenario. But remember, all of this doesn't matter because the servers have been owned at the circuit board level for a long yeah, time, yeah. right? I, so. Yeah, I get that. The I, the PPIC3, which is the Punjab police um, in, in Lahore, uh, the PPIC3 project, as described in the legal filing, was part of an initiative formulated by the Punjab Safe Cities Authority, a provisional government body. Its goal was to modernize the technology available to local police. Oh, boy. (laughs) The request for proposal, the RFP, called for proposals describing the design of eight software systems. According to the complaint, authorities in Pakistan invited various companies to submit proposals, including Motorola, Nokia, and Huawei. Huawei, it's alleged, lacked the technological capability to provide the system called for by the RFP. And so, in March of 2016, it partnered with BES in Santa Ana, California, to develop the eight software systems BES's work on the project is said to have been instrumental in the the decision to award the project to Huawei for 150 million. Huawei is said to have obtained BES's low-level designs for these systems and then resisted paying BES while seeking similar police modernization contracts without involving or paying BES in several other cities in Pakistan and Qatar, Dubai, and United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. Here's the quote. After Huawei had BES's valuable trade secrets and other intellectual property in its possession, Huawei used its knowledge of BES's technology to begin securely procuring certain positions of BES's software system from other sources, including from vendors uh, BES identified to Huawei, the company. Also, now they're just undercutting them. That's fantastic. Huawei also began to use one of BES's software systems to establish a backdoor 
from China to Pakistan that allowed Huawei to collect and view data important to Pakistan's national security and other private personal data on Pakistani citizens. The backdoor may, may not be the right term, though. It's difficult to be certain without knowing the details of the system's technical architecture. In the complaint, the term is used to describe a duplicate of the PSCA's DES running on servers based in Huawei's facility in Su Suzhou, China. Whether the copy arises from a covert remote access capability or an overt replication option under indifferent, or blah, 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 it doesn't matter. So, wow. Holy shit, Huawei. You are even more fucked up than we ever thought. That's amazing. We knew you were stealing technology from Ericsson and Nortel. Everybody in Sweden and Canada knew that. But we didn't realize you were using that technology. The, well, we do because your 5G towers do have backdoors, as the Dutch have discovered. And you stole all of that from Ericsson, as everyone in Sweden knows. And then you sell that hardware with backdoors to governments, and then you're using it for espionage. But wow, you're fucking over Pakistan. That's amazing. So, fantastic uh, article. Whoever sent that one in, Evan, uh, well done on that one. Wow. I, 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 it doesn't really matter, though, does it? Because it, it, the court case in California, the California court can rule in favor of BES in Santa Ana, but Huawei is just going to laugh at whatever the penalty is. They're not, they don't have to pay that. The technology is already in their hands. It doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, I mean, so you have a penalty, like you're just forcing them to pay. It's going to be a whole other bag of chips. But their CFO is going to be extradited to America in about oh forty eight hours. <laughs> so, uh, and if you make and yeah. if she makes it to a California court, she'll be out next week. <laughs> Johan. Yeah, but but they can actually stand to take all the fines, etc. Since they are saving all the money for, because they are not paying any her any salary. Well, no, the, but the point is they could hold her as a hostage until they pay the fines. That could be interesting, on a condition that they're not releasing your CFO until you well, pay she, the fines. She has a CFO. She, she'd have to approve the fines. Right? So. Do Do you agree to pay that? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> they're going to hold her in a jail cell until she comes up with the payment and. Uh, very clever. So next headline, also from Evan, 5G wireless could interfere with weather forecasts, according to Scientific American. Spotify has an app on the smartwatch, on Apple smartwatches, but also on Android smartwatches, which is called Wear OS. And now Spotify's Wear OS app is getting offline playback in the coming weeks. So you'll be able to download your songs directly on your watch and play them back without any connection, you know, while you're running on the beach in some foreign country. And just like EVs, electric bikes could come with tax credits to lower the prices. And that would be fantastic. Electric bikes could be eligible for tax credits worth $1,500, like with the electronic vehicle subsidies Tesla and General Motors used. Although that could buy you the whole bike for that amount. That would be fantastic. Not really. Have you looked at the price of electric bikes here in the U.S.? Yeah, they, if I, you can get them, they're insane. Yeah, Ikea. Thousands. Ikea has one for about that much, though. Lady, like, yeah, likes and shares teach people to express more outrage online. I think yes, this is the actual source of that article we read an hour ago from Yale, where Yale did a study about, you know, the how social media platforms encourage people to write politically outrageous stuff. And they become addicted to doing so. At JT, if you're on stage, I found just found your article here about SideQuest VR game uses experimental pass-through support to launch first AR 
game on Oculus Quest 2, Cactus Cowboy. Yeah, I was just reading about that. As you know, um, Oculus released the experimental uh, API that allows you to transform your VR headset into an AR um, device. So this is the first uh, game that it was used on the side quest. So the side quest is pretty much an ecosystem for uh, developers to create games but not have them officially in the Oculus store. So this is just one example of using that um that feature in in an ar capacity mm, okay it's so the all, we've already got apps using the pass-through which is fantastic so um i'm just cherry picking out all the next best articles here here we go um johan you have one here users sue facebook over deceptive advertising practices i can't believe that i can't believe facebook would do anything deceptive Johan, how dare you <laughs> yeah how dare you sir oh, um, the, this was a link uh, that i actually found after uh, the two other win we discussed where, where facebook has made move against uh, uh, projects that have been trying to mapping these ones and now they are striking back yeah. in some kind social of social media platform facebook has been served with a lawsuit accusing it of actively soliciting and assisting scammers for its own financial gain. These these lovely, lovely people at Facebook, they're just, you know, they just want to connect the world, you know? It's about helping everybody come together, connecting you with all those idiots you went to school with, you know? And then Dr. Friend... Yeah, the th- but, 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 but yeah, this is actually, since this is a part of my ordinary thing, is that this were these uh, repentant, uh, repeating scams that go through Facebook for garden gnomes, uh, yeah. different uh, gadgets and things, and they do nothing. We report them, we report them and report them and report them. They are still coming back, new domains, same text, same graphics. Why can't they block it when they can find a, a nipple in, in 200 meters from a picture of a beach? How can't they block these ones? I can't the understand it. Scan. I haven't heard of the garden gnome scam. Uh, the garden, yeah, the, the, the garden gnome scam is that they are, they are gadgets, so small lamps, uh, solar powered lamps they sell for, to put out in your garden. We call them garden gnome scams because they are oh, usually. Okay. Trolls, garden gnomes, etc., that you actually could put out in the for, uh, okay. on your yard. But the thing is that uh, these are repeating over and over again. Uh, but I can run for this uh, for a very long time without repeat myself. So okay. I'm going to pause. Okay. Uh, Dr. Fran sends in this one from the New York Times that small towns are growing desperate for water in California. The drought is revealing for California that perhaps even more than rain fall it is money and infrastructure that dictate who has sufficient water during the state's increasingly frequent dry spells so you can read all about that from the new york times via the twitter account from dr fran so there goes that article thank you dr fran and evan just sent one in from space.com that july 2021 was officially the hottest month ever this year is on track to be one of the hottest in history and a new noaa report has said and NASA mulls how to dispose of International Space Station. I have an idea. Oh, wait, can I uh, just on, on the hottest uh, year thing? Well, uh, it's not, actually not going to be the hottest year. Hottest July, by the way. But also keep in mind that 2021 is very likely the coolest year forevermore. 
In other words, every year after 2021 will be hotter than 2021. So keep that in mind. <laughs> Thanks. The, the, a plan to use Russian spacecraft to deorbit the International Space Station as early as 2028 remains in question because the United States does not know um, what the hell it's going to do with the International Space Station when they need to... Uh, Fourth of July. Let it, let it, it could be the biggest fireworks the world has ever fantastic. seen. Fantastic. I like it. And then here's one from The Guardian. California considers human composting as a greener death option. A process that breaks down remains into about two wheelbarrows of soil saves a metric ton of carbon dioxide per person, just as we do here uh, on uh, parts of Thailand. So it's um, yeah, good to see California starting to figure that out. The next one is uh, a company called Spoke. Spoke is working together with Qualcomm to transform safety for bicyclists and light mobility users. You know, those annoying people riding those little electric scooters. And um, Spoke, the mobility platform for safety, connectivity, and rich rider experiences today, announces plans to bring connected technology to vulnerable road users with Qualcomm. Fantastic. And SoftBank is back in the news. In case you missed it, SoftBank's Vision Fund posts a $2 billion profit. Share weakens, casts shadows. Thank you for that one, Cheryl. And then the as the Taliban advances, Reuters says China lays the groundwork to accept uh, the new awkward reality. A series of photos published last month by Chinese state media of the foreign minister, Wang Yi, standing shoulder to shoulder with visiting Taliban of officials in, in Beijing as China becomes the first to welcome the Taliban back to uh, uh, Afghanistan bunch of good good bunch of folks the next one here is from evan the eu wants a universal mobile charger but apple doesn't <laughs> according to a report from reuters the eu is proposing legislation that all devices come with a common mobile charger in september to which apple says Go. how about just USB-C? That, that would be making me very happy yeah common cable uh, Zylo and other tech firms are in an arms race to buy up American homes. iBuyers, quote unquote, are gearing up to grow massively in the coming years with unforeseen consequences for the U.S. How, uh, how, for the U.S. housing market, we should say. What is an iBuyer? Well, iBuyers are gearing up to grow massively. Zylo's doing a $450 million bond deal to get the money it needs. Open door went public via Chamath Polyhapatia's back to SPAC deal to scale as quickly as it can. And, and the race is on among tech firms to gobble up U.S. housing stock and dominate the increasingly competitive high tech house flipping market, otherwise known, Plum tech. known as the iBuyer industry. There's almost an arms race to get the most inventory possible, says Darren Bloomquist. VP of Marketing Economics at Auction.com, who described the state of the iBuyer market as almost frenzied. It's less about mark making money off the, that inventory, at least initially, and more about who can get the most inventory the fastest. Yeah, that's how business works, uh, uh, Darren. High-tech middlemen like Opendoor and Zylo offers Zylo's home buying platform first inserted themselves into the housing scene a few years ago, armed with cheap money and hoping to profit off the bedrock of American middle-class wealth. I buyers target mid-level homes 
that are in decent condition, offer to buy the house with cash, and make the selling and move process quick and convenient. They then make a few repairs and quickly put it back on the market, ideally at a higher rate. In exchange, they charge the home seller a fee that varies according to the variety of factors. And um, you can read all about it. It's it's the quick flipping phenomena at scale with the power of tech. I and and so the thing yeah. the, these these companies are also you know like they said just coming in and paying cash or above offer. So you know the buzz in Southern California is that it's BlackRock doing it, and you know <laughs> the pitchforks are coming very fast in Southern California. Is all I can say. You know, a, a two or three bedroom home. Um, for a middle class family, six seven thousand dollars a month, it's untenable. Well, they need to build more homes, and California is is, is so regulated. We, we and the water the the water use laws, and you know I study this in college because that's actually my passion. We have to establish a twenty year water supply before you can even start a project, wow. and you can't even do that right now. So there's going to be no new homes in California. That's probably why they're going so hard at it. Okay, next headline. And JT has this one uh, from Facebook's Bosworth convinced Oculus will reach 10 million users earlier than expected. 10 million users will explode the content and the ecosystem. It will be a it will be a sustainable and profitable ecosystem for developers. In his last AMA, Facebook's Bosworth said he's convinced that Facebook will reach its goal of 10 million um, Oculus uh, users ahead of schedule. So the next one uh, on a similar topic from Evan, uh, augmented reality is coming for your ears. New software applications are cleverly mapping audio to transport users to another space, uh, which is where exactly, Evan? Did we read this one from Wired? It says... Uh, yeah, so it's, it's spatial audio. It's Bose has like augmented reality audio. Mm -hmm. So you listen to a story and, you know, you hear footsteps behind you walking around. It's pretty mm. pretty amazing the way they can uh, manipulate audio senses. Yeah. And so it's just part of mixed reality in general. Yeah. The spatial dynamic 360 sound most often experienced in theaters with lots of speakers. Spatial audio is at the core of authentic sounding virtual reality experiences. And the technology is now coming to smaller personal devices too. And immersive sound. They're calling it true. Spatial audio is having a moment right now too, due to, in small part to Apple's recent announcement that it will offer thousands of Apple music tracks in spatial audio. And some technologies are better It'd be good for it'd be good for Clubhouse. You could hear different people talking from different parts of a room virtually and differentiate based on the direction of the sound. So it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. That's I'm, you're in the car. That was a great you. example. I heard that car driving by. So, <laughs> so a, the new, according to the South China Morning Post, a new draft of China's personal data protection law adds app restrictions. Law is expected to be rolled out within a year completing China's national legal framework for data governance. And the law is expected to be rolled out this year. Uh, latest draft of China's upcoming personal information protection law will target how apps handle personal data. A new draft version of Chinese personal information protection law a much-anticipated piece of legislation as Beijing tightens regulation of big tech on numerous fronts, proposes 
targeted restrictions on how mobile apps handle personal data, Beijing's top legislative body said on Friday. The new law, expected to be officially rolled out within a year, is now going through its third round of review at the Legislative Affairs Commission of the National People's Congress Standing Committee. The lawmaking body said at a press conference on Friday. The latest draft includes several revisions to the previous version, including targeted regulations on mobile apps that excessively collect personal information. The commission said it will also target algorithmic discrimination, a common practice among Chinese internet companies where a platform charges different prices to to different users based on how much it thinks they are willing to pay. The legislation... Except if you're the government, then data collection, data privacy is out the door. The legislation, along with China's data security law, which goes into effect next month, is expected to put an end to the Wild West era for China's big tech companies in which they have largely had a free hand in how they collect and use customer data. The spokesman said at a press conference that the new draft, he has added definitions for automated decision-making, which includes user profiling and recommendations algorithm, asking companies to make sure that the result of their automated decision-making is fair and just. Further details of the new law remain unclear at this stage. China is establishing a data data governance framework that seeks to ensure the security of what is deemed as important data, putting limits on how businesses collect and use sensitive personal data while encouraging the circulation of less sensitive data to unleash its economic value. While encouraging the circulation of less sensitive data to unleash its economic value, the PIPL along with the freshly passed data security law and local data regulations are all aimed at helping Beijing achieve these goals. The previous draft, blah, blah, blah. The latest draft also proposes the piano That's pretty much it. I'll tweet that out for those who want to see that one from the South China Morning Post. I just did. Thank you, Evan. And Netflix intensifies its VPN ban and targets residential IP addresses too. Netflix has stepped up its effort to ban VPNs and proxy users from bypassing restrictions, which affects regular subscribers. And start just now they're starting to crack down now that it's becoming a real race with Disney Plus and uh, the others. And this one from Pam, uh, we just got closer to understanding why ketamine is such a powerful antidepressant. Oral ketamine, which both known both as an anesthetic and a recreational drug has recently emerged as a highly promising rapid treatment for severe depression. Within hours, a single dose of the psychedelic substance has been shown to curb suicidal intent, and recent clinical trials suggest these effects work on two-thirds of patients, lasting up to several weeks before fading away. Given the promising early results of the limits of currently available antidepressants, oral ketamine is now available as a nasal spray in the U.S., for those with intractable depression and chronic suicidal thoughts. Yet, despite the drug's growing use nationwide, we still don't really know how the full extent of its antidepressant activity, ketamine interacts with a range of receptors in the brain, but which are the ones that lead to antidepressant effects? Some scientists think ketamine's therapeutic power relies on its influence over glutamate, a neurotransmitter that is secreted by the ends of the certain neurons in the brain, but while ketamine appears to increase glutamate release in some parts of the brain in both mice and humans, in other parts of the mammalian brain, the drug seems to decrease this release. Elevated glutamine releases 
has been linked to stress, depression, and other mood disorders, so lowered glutamine, glutamate levels may explain some of the effects of ketamine, explains neuroscientist Per Svenningsen from Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. Now, new results from experiments on mice and other neurons further support that hypothesis, at least for the prefrontal cortex, which is connected to complex cognitive behaviors and modulation of emotion of emotions. And it goes on and on and on. And apparently, um, Sven Svenningsenson um, thinks he's figured out why ketamine uh, is helpful in reducing depression. And I just sent that one out. And thank you to Katarina or Pam, rather, for that one. So the next one's from Poppy. This touchless Taco Bell could be the future of drive throughs Scan a QR code and your order is lowered down from the kitchen above. And you have to see the photo of this futuristic Taco Bell. It's a drive through It's a multi-lane drive through In fact, it's a four-lane drive through Four cars can be side-by-side side going through the drive through And the kitchen is above the cars. And it lo- appears to use pneumatic tubes to send your food to your door of your car. It's the Jetsons. Yeah. I love it. I'll go in a heartbeat. So now your burrito can fly down to you before it flies right out of you. It's amazing. (laughs) That's fantastic. Efficient. The next one's from Cheryl. It says, um, as he queued to board a flight out of Hong Kong, to Taiwan, dissident artist Casey Wong was painfully aware of the extra immigration officials brought in to scrutinize each passing passenger. And this is yet another uh, piece about everyone fleeing Hong Kong. Um, And when they get to the airport, they get very nervous because there's additional security brought in to stop Hong Kongers from permanently leaving Hong Kong. But that's what they're doing. And um, quite an interesting development underway in Hong Kong as uh, people are leaving their homes. It's really sad, Tyler. You know, um, we, we, my wife is from Hong Kong. I'd never been there in my life until like 10 years ago. And I fell in love with that yeah, city. Yeah, I love the city. And, and, and it's just so sad because I don't think I'm ever going to be able to take my kids there. They're never going to be able to see, you know, that side of the family. It's just, it's really sad. Yeah, Sorry. Super, super sad. A fantastic, really one of the world's best cities in uh, in many ways. I would live there in a heartbeat if it was its old former self. Yeah, we, we were like, yeah, if things get bad in the U.S., let's go there, yeah. you know? <laughs> For sure. Um, so... The next one is also from Cheryl, also about China. China is toughening, and this is from Nikkei Asia out of Japan. China is toughening regulations around condominium transactions with an aim to contain speculative and illegal deals within three years amid growing social discontent about soaring property prices. And perhaps more so, they're trying to stop people from selling their homes and leaving Hong Kong. (laughs) Uh, Because that's what they're doing. And so I just tweeted that out so that you can see it. And this one from Evan, that Apple and Google-backed smart home standard matter has been delayed. As Evan says, uh, he'll believe it when he sees it. And LEQ uh, is a 93-year-old Juanita's friend who also just happens to be a robot. New technologies aim to help comfort, entertain, and inform seniors. But critics say machines trying to mimic human intimacy raise 
ethical issues. Like what? Um, Erickson 93 re remembers the day her LQ device arrived. It was strange at first hearing a metallic voice. How ask how she was or if she wanted to know an interesting fact or the weather, but she got used to it. There are certain things she has come to depend on LQ for, and it knows a lot about her in common with many users. Uh, Erickson refers to LQ as she, and it does sound somewhat female inside Erickson's cozy studio apartment where a collection of carefully tended plants thrive on a little balcony LQ occupies occupies pride of place on a table next to her favorite chair it is designed to be a non-humanoid in its shape and appearance looking more like a table lamp but spend spend any time with the pair and you notice just how often Erickson thinks what she knows is a hunk of plastic and electronics almost every interaction be it LQ reciting her a poem telling her a joke or engaging her in a conversation about whether she likes sports she expresses her gratitude i do treat it rather human like admits erickson i look upon LQ as a friend some of the devices are robotic pads build as a sidekick for happier aging LQ is the brainchild of israeli based startups intuition robotics which was founded in 2016 and has raised $58 million to date. Over 200 older adults in the U.S. either have lived with or are currently living with a social robot with their feedback being used to fine-tune it before a yet-to-be-determined release date. And where's the ethical issue here? We are looking to create empathetic digital companions. While it's great that people are affectionate towards LQ, they should know that, it, that she is, she, they should know what she is at all times. And the conversation writers have quickly have crafted a quickly dry humored personality, a sleek facade. It, uh, it also learns from previous experiences as LQ is blurring the lines between being a companion and a carer. Some users have consented to a new feature that notifies their doctor if they tell LQ that they don't feel well. Soon, also with the user's consent, the system will be able to tell a designated family member how a user is doing, for example, if you're okay or could use a phone call based on what they tell LAQ. Ah, there's more to the article. It, it's a very, very holy shit long article, um, which at some point later in that article, it brings up ethical issues that you can find if you want to go to the Twitter account and find that one. And thank you to Evan for that interesting one from The Guardian about LAQ. And so this brings us to 5G drones are re imagining sports entertainment we've had a love affair with drones since they first began appearing in retail stores vaulting themselves to the top of our gadgets and electronic wish lists drones let us take to the sky they give us a bird's eye view of new places from a bowling alley and blah 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 today drone racing league drl is creating a new era of sport using 5g technology to give tens of millions of fans a more immersed experience like no one has ever seen before. This week, DRL uses its new built 5G-enabled drones to capture and stream stunning first-person view footage of the 8,000-seat ballpark in blah, blah, blah. DRL and T-Mobile have built the first racing drones in the world to have been embedded with 5G modules capable of 5G live streaming video directly to the internet. Ah, so it's live streaming in real time from a drone going 100 kilometers an hour through a race course. That's kind of cool. And you can see the video of it from the link I just twatted on Twitter uh, from Evan. And then we come to... They would help to co-sponsor the X Prize in Forest and be part 
Yeah, that's the drone. For yeah, that could be fun. For AI for conservation. Thank you. When Bloomberg News, is, this one's from Heyman via The Intercept. Oops, tweeting it out now. There it goes. And it says, Bloomberg tried to ruin me for speaking out on China. China reporting. When Bloomberg's news' reporting on China was challenged, Bloomberg tried to ruin me for speaking out. Bloomberg lawyers in Hong Kong threatened to devastate my family's finance financially and take me to court if I did not sign an NDA, even though I had never been a Bloomberg employee. I'm one of many women Mike Bloomberg's company tried to silence through non-disclosure agreements. The funny thing is I never even worked at Bloomberg, but my story shows the lengths that the Bloomberg that the Bloomberg machine will go to in order to avoid offending Beijing. Bloomberg's company, Bloomberg LP, is so dependent on the vast China market for its business that its lawyers threatened to devastate my family financially if I didn't sign an NDA, silencing me about how Bloomberg's news killed a story critical of Chinese Communist Party's leaders. It was only when I hired Edward Snowden's lawyers in Hong Kong that Bloomberg eventually called off their hounds after many attempts to intimidate me. Um, and now she's tweeting it on Twitter. Does anybody know the name of that particular lawyer? I think we need to keep it on speed dial, Tyler. <laughs> um, yeah, but now we know why uh, Bloomberg uh, seems to not want to share what's really going on in China. Now that the New York... They're lucrative businesses, the terminals, though. They're lucrative businesses, all those terminals. Mm -hmm. They don't want to lose it. That's the reason. Yeah. With, uh, so she tweeted out, now that the New York Times has gone public about Chinese government pressure, I can admit that we got death threats after Bloomberg's story on Xi Jinping. Wow. Bloomberg. Oh, boy. Death threats? Bloomberg? Come on. Bloomberg. What, won't let you buy a large soda, Bloomberg? What are you, death threats? Bloomberg, what are you doing making death threats to people on Twitter? Within hours of my tweets... The original and my replies to my questions, a Bloomberg manager called my husband and said, get your wife to delete her tweets. I did not delete them, but I also did not tweet or speak publicly about the death threats again. I did not want to anger the company because we needed it to we needed it to relocate us to Hong Kong, where our children would be safe as we finished the remainder of our time in Beijing applying for schools in Hong Kong and preparing for our move, I lived in constant fear. Would someone get to our children while they were on their way to or from school? Who was watching Who was watching and listening to us? I obsessively pulled down our window blinds at night in case Chinese security agents were watching us. I was careful not to speak loudly about our plans in our home or on my phone in case we were bugged. In August 2013, I finally relaxed as we flew out of Beijing and moved to a temporary apartment in Hong Kong. I thought our year-long nightmare had ended, but things would soon get even worse. My husband had been working for many months on another investigative report for Bloomberg about financial ties between one of China's richest men and the families of senior Communist Party officials, including relatives of Xi. Bloomberg editors had thus far backed the story. A Bloomberg managing editor, Jonathan Kaufman, said in an email in late September 2013, I am in awe of the way you tracked down the and deciphered the financial holdings of the players. It's a real revelation. Looking forward to pushing it up the line, according to an account published by the Financial Times. Then Bloomberg killed the story at the last minute, and the company fired my husband in November after comments by Bloomberg News Editor-in-Chief Matt Winkler were leaked. If we run the story, we'll be kicked out of China, Winkler reportedly said on a company call. 
Mike Bloomberg, then New York City mayor and majority owner of Bloomberg, was asked on November 12th, 2013, about reports that his company had self-censored out of fear of offending the Chinese government, and he dismissed the question. Nobody thinks that we're wusses and not willing to stand up and write stories that are of interest to the public and that are factually correct, Bloomberg told the press conference. Yet days after Bloomberg made those comments to reporters in New York, Bloomberg's lawyers in Hong Kong threatened to devastate my family financially for forcing us to repay the company for our relocation fees to Hong Kong from Beijing and the advance on my husband's salary that we had took out leave us with no health insurance or income and take me to court if I did not sign the non-disclosure agreement, even though I had never been a Bloomberg employee. The law firm representing Bloomberg, Mayor Brown JSM, sent a letter to my lawyer on December 6, 2013, threatening a court injunction if I didn't agree to their confidentiality terms within seven days. And it's a, I've, I've still got a long ways to go in the story, but um, Bloomberg, oh, Bloomberg. What's the source of this article? The Intercept. Yeah, Tyler, you should point out. And Cheryl, it's her it's, voice, right? Cheryl, remember that. It's remember, it's a year it's old. Voice. The story is a year old. Mm-hmm. By the yeah. way, yeah. it was related to what we were discussing before. I know. I know. We're trying to figure out why Bloomberg has so much difficulty pointing out the obvious things going on in China, and because someone's right, it's the it's the terminals. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you make all the money. Yeah. Okay. And that's why Bloomberg was going to be the worst president for the U.S. if he was to be running. Ah. And another thing, too, he screwed his own employees, by the way. After that election, he refused to pay them the what he promised uh, for a severance package, whatever, to, for when the campaign ended. So yeah, he was an asshole. Workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an asshole. Sorry for the words. No worries. So a, a few more tweets popping in here. Um. A, what do we got here? We got, oh, something from Wendy's. That's hot. Colds and a, AGI. And um, here we go. Ready for this batch here? Here we go. So um, has COVID taught us anything about the pandemic nature? Research from nature.com. Uh, researchers warn that plans to prevent the next global outbreak don't consider the that failures that have fueled our current, um, that prevent the next global outbreak. Don't consider, don't consider the failures that have fueled our current predicaments. And that's from Cheryl. This one from Chris from Slate. Investment firms aren't buying all the houses, but they are buying the single-family homes. Yep. Yeah. And then Dr. Fran has this one. What if Zoom had spatial audio? That's a wild thought, and it's a video you can see. Yeah. Tyler, yeah. the article you read you read just now is 2020 February. Yes, we said that as a year old. Okay. Yeah, yeah we know that. Can Bitcoin... But history is history and facts are facts, Cheryl. Please yeah. be careful of that. Yeah. Can Bitcoin be Palestine's... Uh, hey, man, I didn't say anything other than just saying it's from last year. Yeah. That's all. That is not... Still, yeah, so, sorry. So there's no need to, so there's no need to further... No, 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 but... Uh, no, the, oh, sorry. I have to point this out, Cheryl. You have I, to I don't, basically... I don't mean anything. I'm just saying that... No, no, but I'm just saying you question stuff. others' evidence. You question other people's say words. Please be careful of that because... Tyler, did I do that? You get yourself into problem. You you will get yourself into problem. That's all I'm saying. Just basically Tyler, trust people yourself? first. Yeah. Can Bitcoin be Palestine's currency of freedom? Bitcoin gives Palestinians a powerful avenue for peaceful protest and the opportunity to find sovereignty among oppressive economic um, 
environment. This from Bitcoin Magazine, although Israel controls their internet, so they can turn off your whole fucking economy and, and with a light switch. So I don't know that that's necessarily a great idea. But um, the next headline is from the next web. To achieve AG, AGI, which is, uh, you know, real AI, general AI, the, the holy grail of making a computer as, you know, like, act like a human, digital computation of intelligence has no analog in the natural world. So maybe we need a new theory of intelligence before building AGI, general AI. That's from the next web. And then um, Robert Scoble re responding to one of our tweets. That's that's interesting. I'll ping him. And then um, this one from Evan. Colds and other common respiratory diseases might surge as kids return to schools. Recent historic Recent historically low levels of some respiratory illnesses may lead to outbreaks this fall and winter, creating disruptions as kids return to school and Wendy's to open 700 ghost kitchens that serve as, that serve food delivery apps. And the real interesting thing about them is, is that they are actually trailers that can be hooked up to the back of um, semis uh, and be transported around the town so they don't pay rent. Interestingly, it's really kind of clever and they can be optimized on their location based on where their orders are coming from based on times of day. Truly genius. Apple's new research suggests future AirPods able to monitor respiratory health, although small in size. Crazy. Right now. Don't underestimate in-ear devices. And the eight takeaways from Xiaomi founder Lee Jun's viral speech as jack ma and other company leaders lay low Li jun is becoming the most beloved tech figure in china and uh, philip's study finds hospitals struggling to manage thousands of iot devices more than 13 percent of hospitals had no inventory and no way of knowing how many medical devices were deployed and reddit is the latest social platform to launch a tiktok clone short form videos that viewers can rapidly swipe through are the latest craze and Reddit has gotten in on the trend and the company just raised a shit ton of money to get bigger into video, specifically live video, which may or may not have e-commerce attached to it. The answer is yes, it does because that's where hey, the billions of dollars are hiding. Yes, John. Yeah. The, you blew right past the IOT and hospitals. I just want to give um, a really uh, personal vignette on that about, Four years ago, when NotPetya was circulating, somebody brought in, a vendor brought in a laptop, put it in the, in the infrastructure of one of the largest healthcare systems in the country where I um, had to make the call to pull the plug on um, all the biomedical devices because we were watching the NotPetya virus spread across everything and we couldn't identify which devices, which precisely as this article said. So at that time, we implemented commodity uh, infrastructure that allowed us to know exactly where all the IoT devices were. So that story is still relevant for most healthcare systems in the world. And it's, I got to tell you, it was pretty frightening when I had to make the judgment to cut all communication to all IoT devices and all biomedical devices uh, in order to halt the uh, spread of the NotPetya virus. No one died. No one got hurt. It was by the skin of our teeth that we were able to stop it. But this is something that other health, other healthcare systems and industries need to pay close attention to because that is a pathway, uh, a readily uh, available pathway of spread for a lot of the serious malware. And, and that's why that's why the sidewalk thing that Amazon's doing is so scary 
because those are highly leveraging IoT devices that have, you know, convention historically been like the weakest security and, and the hardest to update. So now you have your Amazon devices that are hooked up to someone else's Amazon device and who knows what kind of backdoors are now there. So. So the last article of the day is a interview with Niantech's CEO, John Honke, who um, spoke at my event a few years ago and is one of the most down-to-earth CEOs I've ever had the pleasure of having speak at one of my events. And uh, and it was while Pokemon Go was really one of the biggest game titles um, on the planet at that time. And... Um, so I've become a bit of a fan ever since. Um, and it's, they are really pushing to be a main player in the future of AR, where they're coming out with their own headset. They're acquiring other sister technologies. And um, yeah, they're going to give uh, Facebook a run for their money and, and Snapchat and Google and whoever Apple, whoever else wants to get into that race. So um, there's an interview with them, rather long one, kind of like a podcast but you can it's a it's a text one and uh, i just tweeted that out to the tech news twitter account where it talks about even john's acknowledgement of the dystopian use cases of ar and vr so totally worth checking out really smart cool dude and one of the key players in the future of ar and vr so check that out and that does it everybody that takes us to the end of yet another Headline field, take me around the world. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody, and and hopefully Thank see you, you all soon. Be safe, right, everybody. Bye.